Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI, as it will always be known from now on, is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front ever, and no smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. Those little musty rooms with just sadness. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, um, give it a like. Share it across the internet. Rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, all that. It really does help, and I appreciate it. So it's a free podcast, so all that stuff does help. If you have any questions or suggestions, comments, um, I did get one comment about the profanity I just want to reiterate there that I did market explicit. So I recommend you don't listen to things marked explicit when um, you don't like profanity. So if that's something not for you, bye-bye. All right. Um, if you're interested in attending local meetings, uh, go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com, meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if I ever get around to editing these videos, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. I'm still piecemealing this thing together. If anybody wants to edit, edit videos for bad jokes or terrible career advice, let me know. Cause I can probably uh, make that happen. Legal disclaimer. All right, folks, the world we live in. So deal with it in no way, shape or form. Should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions, that you contact a lawyer, attorney, and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors podcast show quote of the week, where I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and your weekend. Hopefully, we'll see how close I get, matches the guest I have. So this week's quote, I don't look to jump over seven foot bars. I look around for one foot bars that I can step over. Warren Buffett. <laughs> so uh, I don't look for I don't look to jump over seven foot bars. I look for one foot bars that I can step over. Warren Buffett, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to my guest today, Mr. Todd Baller. And I didn't write this, so if the last two podcasts I didn't write right. So if you notice an improvement in the quality of writing, it's because they did. All right, <laughs> Todd Waller is a lifelong resident of Southeast Michigan and utilized. Uh, and utilizes over 12 years of real estate experience to meet his clients' needs. After graduating from the University of Michigan with a degree in political science, Todd ran, Todd ran political campaigns in southeast Michigan. Combining his boots-on-the-ground ability to communicate with his skill in data analysis, Todd has consistently pointed his clients to the good information as a new technology has inundated the real estate consumer's need for more data, or data, however you want to say that, specifically the right data data for his clients. A self-described, and I love this, destroyer of the real estate fortress of suckitude. There's a lot of that. Todd is not content with simply getting his clients to the closing table quickly. His clients' needs and goals are paramount in the transaction. Learn more about Todd, how he approaches real estate, and his thoughts on real estate by connecting with him on the popular social networks, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, what, no Google Plus? Oh, no, Google Plus is there. Oh, Just, shot know. across the bow. Yeah. An advocate of the handcrafted real estate experience, Todd Taylor's his approach to the specific needs of his clients, many of home come 
who I don't know. I, that's my fault. Many of who come referred from satisfied past clients. I can't copy and paste. Todd has also been published on the Berkshire Hathaway Home Service Rethink Report and interviewed by local real estate investors. Todd is married with two children. Mm-hmm. You should definitely go check him out. His email address is Todd at ToddWaller.com. Cell phone 734-564-7465. ToddWaller.com. Homes dash, and that's the one in the middle, of dash and dash arbor dot com. And all this will be in the show notes. That's a lot of stuff. I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. No, it's good. You should have, man, the one I did a couple weeks ago was like three paragraphs. It was it was crazy. Thanks for coming out, Todd. I am happy to be here, Jeremy. It's good to see you again in person, too. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. And <laughs> we are at the Always Brewing location, alwaysbrewingdetroit.com, conveniently located on the north side of Grand River between Southfield and Evergreen. Monday through Saturday, folks, come check it out. Local coffee shop. We're in the conference room where we do these things, and we're enjoying an excellent cup of coffee. We, we are, and I have to say, I, I love coffee shops around southeast Michigan, and I am very happy to have checked off Always Brewing uh, as a part of, of the coffee shop here in, in southeast Michigan that I've been to. So this is, this is good stuff. In fact, I can see the bottom of my cup, and I need to, may need to remedy that before the uh, show Yeah, flag here. me down, and we'll pause, <laughs> and you can get some more. That was Ethiopian Harar. There I had, you go. I had Frank on the podcast, and he's the one who roasts it, and he yeah. calls this God's coffee. Uh-huh. And I say, if there is a God, that is the coffee he drinks. Cause <laughs> That's I, good stuff. I can't really drink it anything else anymore he ruined me it's like all swill now i'm like a coffee snob I'm like what is this garbage it's too true yeah it's so good he runs out of it too but to me that's like running out of drugs I'm like you got me hooked what are you doing running out but well just remember now crack is whack yeah crack so is i don't whack. know what the rhyme is for coffee yet so we're still working on that one i don't know but i need plenty of it daily to keep me going oh so my goodness yes i'm with you on that let's go back in time sure i don't know how far we should go back we just don't want to mention that. Yeah. Okay. So was there any, I mean, did you ever know you were going to be a real estate agent? <laughs> it seems like you had a career of, um, wait, you like to call it as a political hack. Sure. Or, or, or Bozalico. Bozalico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's So the poli-sci degree out of U of M was born out of frustration. So we'll go back to college. How's that? That's um, good. I like this. I, uh, I wandered into college and uh, was following roughly in the footsteps of my father. My father put in, what, 40-plus years at Ford Motor before he got forced out at the last round of, of I don't want to call them layoffs, but they were trying to downsize the company. And uh, dad was a mechanical engineer, and he had a phenomenal job where he um, – uh, if there was a, an accident involving a Ford Motor Vehicle, Dad was one of the chosen few, if you will, at the company that was sent out to investigate the accident, the scene of the, uh, the accident, the car. And then if that actually went to trial, Dad would end up as the expert witness for Ford Motor. Now, to get there, obviously, my father had to put in time for his craft. So he did his time as a mechanical engineer at Ford Motor. His entire career was at Ford Motor. Uh, and so I watched this, obviously grew up around this and thought, well, you know what? I'm not half bad with my hands. I, I, I can pull stuff apart, put it back together. I was always curious how things worked. So mechanical engineering made sense. So I started going to the University of Michigan, Dearborn, whoop, whoop, and uh, was two years into my mechanical engineering degree and uh, <clears throat> could not get past Calc 2. So the, the terrible story here is I took Calc 2 three times. I was not smart enough to drop the class before I failed at worse each successive time. Damn. 
That is a tough class, though. It is. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, I did calculus-based physics in the Navy, and it does make you hate everything <laughs> pretty quickly, too. <laughs> Honestly, it brings about uh, bouts of ex- existentialism quite yeah, frankly. It's, <laughs> I, I knew some people who enjoyed it, but I, I get it. I could, yeah. that, I could see why you'd be like, you know what? Never mind. Yeah, no. So it, what, what ended up happening is in the midst of failing that class three times, I was taking electives to figure out, you know, fill out my core requirements. I fell in love with the poli-sci classes. I had a couple of poli-sci classes that just flipped the switch. And um, so I I got into political science and realized quickly that with political science as a degree, eh, it's kind of a piece of paper that says this kid's trainable. Uh, So You can read. Yeah, you can read, uh, put two thoughts together, maybe rub two thoughts and come up with a sentence. Check boxes, fill in the little circles with a number two pencil. Pretty pretty much. So when you ask the question, hey, did you ever think that you'd ever become a real estate agent? No, (laughs) not at all. Um, and so I did the political hackery thing for a period of time. So once I graduated college, I ended up running state rep uh, races here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, worked in the governor's office for a, a brief stint there as well. And um, it was good. Um, but then, you know, you meet a gal, you get married, and, and priorities shifted. Uh, go figure. So my bride, um, uh, when we got married in December of 99, that would have been the beginning of the final year of the 2000 election cycle quick flashback for those who remember or maybe those who don't uh 2000 was the election year a presidential election year where we tried to figure out um after the november elections who actually won the presidency yeah so hanging chads and all that fun jazz um and that would have been our first anniversary so i'm sitting poolside with my wife in december of 2000 out in san diego and i remember distinctly kind of looking at her saying who exactly are you now, you have to understand, my wife's an operating room nurse. She was in general circulation at that point in time. So the two of us were almost literally passing each other in the hallway to our apartment as we were coming off of shift or on shift, depending on what time of day it was. So I'd come in from a hard day campaigning, and she was walking out the door for a midnight shift kind of thing. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. That's and not sustainable. No, not no. at all. And especially when you... We didn't. I don't think anybody does this, but we certainly didn't get married to get divorced. And so there was a de- decided. Okay, we're not going to allow this to continue. So I walked away from the game, um, and I spent six to seven months working at an automotive market research firm here in Southeast Michigan. Um, and I kind of reverted back to what I had done in college. It was automotive market research, which was fine, except. I got to tell you, pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, talking with people really puts the shine on you. If you don't know how to communicate with people, go run a campaign or be a part of a campaign. Uh, That really shows you, okay, here's how you communicate. Here's how you deal with people who don't like you, don't like your candidate, don't like your idea, or conversely, who really love what you're all about. So it was a really good time of, of campaigning. It was really good for me to craft or hone the craft of communication, if you will. I'm going to interject here. Yes, sir. Really quickly. Did you see that cruise clip where he was taking a ton of shit from that Iowa farmer about ending the uh, ethanol subsidies? I didn't, but I saw. That was an excellent one. Yeah. I think Ted Cruz should do that more often (laughs) and people might have a different opinion of him. But I just think you were saying that and I was like, that's exactly what he did. Yep. He t- in eight minutes, he took that guy who literally was waiting there all You could tell he was waiting there all day. Like, I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind. Yep. He's ruined my life. <laughs> what do you mean you want to end? And in eight minutes, he had that guy completely turned around. So I, I think I, I could see why that, that would come in handy, especially how many doors you knock on. How many? I mean, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you probably, you get good or you get gone, right? That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, there's, 
again, I'll, I'll chat about, you know, political war stories because those are fun to talk about over beers. But um, <laughs> as it relates to real estate, that kind of put the shine into me and in communicating with people. So what hasn't been revealed in this podcast is that I'm an only child. So only children are supposed to be the eccentric introverts that you know, we just we don't like people. We don't want to hang around people. Um, yeah, politics kind of ripped that right out of me. So. I do seven months of automotive market research in what I will affectionately call a cube farm, and I was dying on the vine. Cube farm. <laughs> Slowly dying on the inside, everybody. A little bit more each day. Yeah, and, and when you vividly remember gophering in a cube farm, you know, everyone poking their heads up over to see what the other person's doing over in that oh cube. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just Dilbert on crack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, seven, I'm surprised you made seven months. Well, You're yeah, <laughs> but a buddy um, who knew my political, I, I'd known him since high school. He saw what I did in politics. He saw what I was doing. He, we got together one weekend and he says, you know, you heard we just bought our house. He says, I think you would make a great agent. He said, you've got a personality. You know how to communicate with people. You're not an only child, typical only child, um, but you're also good with numbers as evidenced by doing some automotive market research. Um, so I, I tailed an agent, his agent for two consecutive weekends, uh, at the like beginning of 2000. Yeah. At the beginning of 2000, 2001, excuse me, 2001, 2002. And, um, that was amazing uh, chatting with this guy, watching what he was doing and then realizing quite frankly, a trained monkey can do this. It's, and I've heard it said a couple of times. So this is 14 years in the business, uh, as of, of uh, 2016 here, um, it is amazing to me how easy it is to become a real estate agent. It is just as equally amazing how difficult it is to be successful at being a real estate agent. And so I don't, I don't want people to be disparaged by the fact that it's easy to become a real estate agent. It is. There's a philosophical question there too about professionalism that we can put on the table or talk about at another point in time. But the fact remains you can get your license real fast. $1,000, 40 hours in a class, pass a test, boom, you can mess up someone's financial future for a lifetime. But to be successful America. in real estate. America. America. Where's the screaming eagle? Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's on fire. <laughs> Just kidding, folks. Gosh, I'm going to get so much hate mail. Yeah. I love this country. All right. And all my right wing friends are gonna be like, Todd, what are you doing with that man? He's, yeah. he's, a, he, he, he's just a pandemonium in the streets. <laughs> Jeez, Drinking the blood of babies. <laughs> well, no, but no. But, all right. Well, it's not my coffee cup. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I got a lid, you know? Just, ah, thank you. I appreciate that. Weirds people out when they, when they see it. No, uh, sorry. Got, no, a, little, you're, got you're, a little sidetrack there. How did you, okay. I'm always wondering. So you saw, how the sausage of politics was made. How many years did you actually do that? So I graduated in um, December of 97 and I was involved in the political process in various campaigns from 96, 95 forward. So I had a good, what, five, maybe six years in until I walked away from the game. Yeah, so you're, you're a seasoned vet by then. A couple of cycles, one pre well, specifically two presidential cycles in there, right? 96 and 2000. But um, uh, what, three, was I making it? Three uh, election cycles, period. 96, 98, 2000, yeah. And, and what specifically was your job? Ah, so my final position was um, House Communications Analyst for the House GOP at that point in time. I really get these uh, labels and well, so run that by me again. Yep. House 
I was a House Central Staff Communications Analyst okay. for the GOP. All right. Now, what does that mean in normal people speak? What it means in normal people speak is as a uh, an employee of the state, I was responsible for helping sitting representatives uh, craft their communication and legislative plans. So do the writing they were supposed to write? Uh, no, actually no? didn't do the writing. Actually okay. helped them lay out the, the plan. So um, I was uh, tasked with uh, a couple of uh, representatives that had won by slim-er margins. And so the idea from the GOP was, hey, we want to ensure that these folks are uh, in as best a position as possible to be reelected. So we're going to send some of our crack teams into their offices and help ah, them. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Thank so, you. Like support staff. Yeah, right? okay. Yeah. So I'm like, they need a little help over here. May, not necessarily, but right. perceived. <clears throat> yeah. And shore them up. Okay. Yep. yep, you got it. All right. What was some of the best things you learned from this experience? And I think you know the second question coming after this, but obviously communication was a big one, right? How to deal with people who hate your guts or hate your idea, yep. Yep. right? Communication's huge. Um, I mean, on a personal level, I learned body language, how to read people when you're speaking with them. Um, that's tremendous. Um, you know, my, my sons are 12 and nine. And one of the things that I recognize my sons are not as proficient at right now is reading body language. They could be having a conversation with their mom and I, and we're talking back and forth and the kids just aren't picking up that we're kind of ticked at what they've just said or what they've just done. It just doesn't hit them. They don't have that, that social quotient, if you will. Um, and so it's, that was one of the things that, that hit me and, and strikes me in retrospect that I picked up is learning to read the body language of the person behind the door. You know, when you knock on the door, you're interrupting somebody's day. But I learned very quickly, if I can get that person behind the door whose afternoon I've just interrupted, if I can get them to chuckle, if I can get them to laugh, if I can get a belly laugh out of them, I got them. That's a good point. Yeah, because that's worse than a cold call, isn't it? You, you are literally... <laughs> It's it's a real life cold call. Hello, you can't ignore me. I'm actually at your door. So one of the one of the best stories I've got about uh, door knocking. I was knocking doors up in Waterford, um, and I forget exactly where the street was up there in Waterford, but uh, it had to be some important precinct we were working. And uh, I remember walking down the street, and I knew that I had to go to this particular house. And I looked at the house, and I see the minivan out front with the sliding doors wide open, bikes strewn all over the front yard. I'm like. Well, people are home. There's at least kids here, likely mom or dad. So this will be good. Come up to the front door. The main uh, exterior door is wide open, but the screen door is shut and you can see the TV is on and there looks like a couple of kids sitting on the couch right there. Knock on the door and I see one kid from the couch just turn his head, look outside the door at me. He then screams into the house, sick him, Toby, <laughs> throws the door open, and this golden retriever comes flying out the front door. The golden retriever, it's a golden retriever. Yeah. The golden retriever comes running out, tail wagging, tongue hanging out, just licking me up one side down and the other. And I just kind of stared at the kid. I said, that just really didn't work out too well for you, did it? No. Toby was looking for a new friend. Toby was looking for a great new friend. Yeah, like, the, hey, the, Todd. The kid then decided to like cuss me out and let me know that his mom wasn't around. <sighs> You know, it is what it is. <laughs> is that a Bernie Sanders supporter? You know, I could. Have. <laughs> you know, I'm a political atheist, folks, so don't get all butthurt on it. But I just could not leave that hanging out. You know, there. Jeremy, I you, tried. If you saw me try. If you're feeling the burn, there is a cream for that. <laughs> I think I need to see a doctor about that. though. And right? if it's really bad, there's a shot. There's a shot for it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you have a lot of stories cold door knocking money oh yeah like 
So okay, so that you're door knocking. Yeah, yeah. You're door knocking for a candidate, right? Yep. I want you to consider. Do you remember what your script was? Oh, no, I actually don't. Because uh, okay. at the time, I had three, four representatives that I was responsible for. So yeah, multiple it, scripts. Yeah, it but the purpose was to drum up support for election, right? GOTV, get out the vote. Get out you the vote. It. Okay, yep. get out the vote. How many doors do you think you've knocked on? Oh, that's a frightening thought. So we could, I could knock down, I think, like 200 in a couple of hours. Oh, wow. Because um, most folks weren't home. Um, and like Dearborn, holy crap. Dearborn was a great place to door knock because the homes were all right next door to each other. Most, you know, some of the places there in Dearborn. Um, and that was impressive. Yeah, I bet Waterford, not, not so. Depends depending on where, on where you're, you're at. at. Yeah. yeah. Waterford was impressive to me because, um, it was really disparate. So you could be knocking doors in one particular precinct and there'd be like a lake, if you will, inside the precinct. The precinct was around part of a lake. And the homes that sat on the lake were, you know, four or five, six hundred thousand dollar homes. The homes across the street. Tar paper shacks. Yeah. It was just amazing to me to be knocking on these doors and, and just see this disparity just, you know, 50, 60 feet from each other's doorsteps. It was something to, to behold. Um, yeah. What was some of the um, worst or their lessons, <laughs> worst lessons, hardest lessons? I mean, maybe mm. that's not the best question. Um, let me let me rethink that. I think I wrote it here slightly differently. Was there anything about the process that um, – that you found wanting or left you disillusioned or couldn't quite reconcile by the time you left. I think that's a better way to state it or ask it. Yeah. So I don't know that there was something that I couldn't necessarily reconcile. Um, I can, I can in retrospect say I walked into the process thinking I can help change this. And I think many folks walk into the political process, be they staffers or people actually running for political office. I think many folks start off with the, there's something wrong. I don't like it. I think I'm the person to change it. Um, and so I think that was um, that was one of my disillusioned points. My points of disillusionment right there was I walked into it thinking, I see what I think is wrong with the system. I don't necessarily want to be there in public office myself, but I want to help the right people make the right changes. It's not to say that every one of my candidates were flaming idiots or people that I didn't like. Um, but I walked out of the process going, uh, yeah, this is like making watching sausage being made. Yeah. You don't want to see it because the behind the scenes stuff is um, not pretty. So uh, at the end of the day, the, the biggest disillusionment for me was the people that I thought were there to make a change either weren't there to make a change initially or they were, but then the system chewed them up and spat them out because the system is that large and it, it carries that much momentum with its institutional history already. And we're not talking legislation necessarily. We're simply talking the political game. Yeah. Just the process of what it takes to get elected Bingo. in this country, regardless yep. of what party you're, yep. you're running for. Yeah. I imagine like going to a, a butchering plant for the first time that it's like, Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not even a pleaser. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't never expecting knew that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could only imagine, uh, I can only imagine what that look, what that looked like. Um, I, well, I still, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, and, well, yeah, that's, and, that's different. That's different. And, yeah. and real estate has been, I, I, I call politics for me like alcohol for an alcoholic. I could have done this to my own detriment. I clearly, right. I'm, I'm staring at my wife and our first anniversary saying, I need to make a change here. Um, so clearly it was co-opting what was important in my life. You know, so I was fortunate in the, the respect that I was able to recognize that and then bounce out of it. Um, 
but you know, real estate has been a great <laughs> nicotine patch, if you will, for that. Yeah. It's been a good replacement. Well, <laughs> I use my powers of evil for good now. Yeah, your powers of evil <laughs> for good. Yeah. Well, well, belief is political. There you go. And that's just that's all there is. And there's a lot of belief in this world, and it all kind of has to go in at the top. And it goes through the machine and comes out the bottom, and it's not exactly what you put in the top, right? <laughs> Sometimes, like, wait a second. Hey, wait, that doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah. I too am. Well, I I can't leave it alone. I try really, really hard. I've been doing better lately, I think. <laughs> but uh, I don't, I couldn't live without it, though. Yeah, I don't. That's it, people are like, don't you hate it? And I was like, well, it's more like hate love. Well. You know, so it's you know funny. how boring life would be if I didn't have anybody to ridicule. I mean, so it's funny you bring up that concept, and this is really going off the field here as far as real estate is concerned. But it's a uh, an interesting statement. You hear people say that so and so hates this or loves that, and I think you and I have had this conversation before, Jeremy. Hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is the opposite of love. Yes. So if you're hating something, that person, that idea, that thing is taking up residence in your head, and you're expending energy thinking about it. So it's not that you hate it in the sense that you want nothing to do with it. Because if you actually didn't want anything to do with it, you wouldn't be thinking about it. It yeah. wouldn't take it wouldn't take up space in your noggin. And for a lot of people, it takes up no space, right? And their exactly. noggin. And we're, it's like, not, we're not those people. <laughs> it's like U of M football on the head of Mark D'Antoni. Yeah, didn't that hurt? We won. Oh God, we lost. I hated that game. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was watching that game with a bunch of U of M fans, and they were all like, "Yeah, we got this win." You, you could have heard a pin drop. It was could have heard a mouse fart. It was so quiet in that yeah. room, just with the one Spartan. Like, yeah, all yeah. Right. Was in a similar scenario, and I just stood up out of my chair, pulled the hat off my head, whipped it into the chair, and walked into the bathroom. Yeah. I was like I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Talk about that's like literally. I try not to do that, and I've done that before. Don't lose on the one-yard line. <laughs> they weren't on the one-yard line, but with seven seconds left, uh, yeah, <laughs> close enough. Well, come back, back to your yeah. point, and that, that is the one thing in this political I'm, – I'm at first of all, I am loving this presidential race. I am trying not to drool every day and post <laughs> too much, but it the amount of mudslinging mm-hmm. is just – Epic. So, so you wanted a dirty little secret? Absolutely. I was out last night grabbing coffee with a friend, catching up, and I came home probably about uh, ten, ten thirty, and uh, sat down. And immediately flipped on the Democratic debate, just because it's great political theater. It, and like you said, the the, uh, the theater would be the operative word. <laughs> <laughs> Every time there's a debate, there are two things that go through my mind. Number one, I hear the circus music. <laughs> It just fits, yep. right? Every Specifically time. on the GOP. It's a clown car. And Bernie's was. a pussy. Eh. Don't half accuse Hillary Clinton of accepting Wall Street money and not finish that off. You look like a pussy, Bernie. You either you either avoid that thing or you dunk it. You like go LeBron all James. I'm like, ha! Ah! Or Michael Jordan, your tongue <laughs> hanging out of your mouth. I want to know who is like, okay, I want you to take a half position. Who told them? That's bad advice. You want to take out Hillary, man. Yeah, but see, then the millennials will be turned off by that. You so. think so? <laughs> Dude, I, I think they would love it. Like, dude, you took that money and you're bought and paid for by Wall Street. I mean, I it doesn't have to be true. And so I don't disagree with that, that going after her in that fashion, I think that how he goes after her would turn them off. Oh, I so I think if if he came out and did the you know tongue hanging down slam dunk, I think many millennials would go, yeah, that didn't look too good. Yeah. I think the optics a... would be off. But anyway, we're far afield. Yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. I like... Uh... I like that. I like how they're not playing as nice anymore now that it's close. <laughs> well, they got it O'Malley was way out. too chummy for me. Well, they know? got O'Malley out of there. Yeah. I mean, Mister, hey, can I have my thirty seconds now? No, no, you can't. 
<laughs> the moderator's like, who let this bozo yeah. on the stage? You get 10 seconds, and I don't want to see it the next one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I heard O'Malley went to his wife recently and said, can I have 30 seconds? Oh, <laughs> only if you promise to be good. That's actually one of the jokes I tell my wife. It's like, are you ready for the best three minutes of your life? And if she gives me a look, I'm like, I can make it two minutes. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I like to keep her uh, expectations low. All right. So going, so going back here now that I've, uh, my wife hates when I joke about that. Sorry, wife. I can't help it. You should know better by now. So you got to see how the political sausage was made. And one thing that I just find fascinating about this process is people, and this is what I hate about politics, but what I love about it too, because it's so entertaining. They can't separate the idea mm-hmm. from the person. Mm-hmm. This I don't understand. Cause I can right. get along with practically anybody. Right. It may not seem like it on Facebook, <laughs> right? But I can actually get along mm-hmm. with practically. I try not to discriminate based upon most ideas, sure. right? I try. In fact, I try not even listen to what somebody says and watch what they do. Right. Cause a big difference between what they say and what they do. What was that like that that I imagine that gap? Mm-hmm. I'm not asking to name names or anything like that, but there's no. a gap between mm-hmm. obviously how the I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get elected. Mm-hmm. It goes through this big machine, comes out sausage on the other yep. end as something else. Yep. Did that have any effect on you or that, that's exactly what I became disillusioned with. Um, that is exactly the point where I went, wait a minute. <clears throat> this isn't right. Now, you got to understand, I'm kind of naive. Still am kind of naive, even at 40 years old, but a little bit more street smart than I was, you know, fresh out of college. And so, again, pie-eyed, oh, my gosh, this is idealism, and we can change the world kind of sp- process to then see the political process go down and, again, watch the sausage being made. That, what you've just described, the difference between words and actions, that was the biggest most frightening disconnect for me that that was the point of disillusionment for me in the entire political process. Um, it is also, as you're saying as well, it is also one of the greatest points of entertainment. Yes. And I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to live without it. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately though, I, I think that's what's wrong with the system is that we're treating it as entertainment. And unfortunately I think the way the structure is currently set up, um, it has the appearance of entertainment more so than actually attempting to get anything done. Um, and again, that's a larger conversation, I suppose, on what the use and end of politics are and, and what's the role of entertainment and all that, too. So. Well, I think there's a marketing lesson in here. Oh, you think? Obviously, humans react much better mm-hmm. to negative campaigns, mm-hmm. focusing on the pain, right? Or fear. Or fear. Yep. Pain or fear. Yep. Negative emotions Bingo. outsell yep. positive emotions. True, true. What they're going to lose or what they could lose or what what imagine loss they have. Right. Which is one of the reasons why in marketing they always tell you focus on the pain. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's not an accident that they, I don't know. Is there like some election school you go to? You're like, all right, look, there, I know you want to say nice shit. No, no. There that's is. not how this works. No, no. There is. You call them a monster face and it. Uh, okay, her so maybe- babysitter didn't like her and her mother wanted to turn her back in. And that's how you win elections. They're like. So, so maybe not in those terms, but yeah, each, each, each state party has their own political candidate school. And, uh, as a political operative, uh, we were responsible for helping set up and, and foster those political candidate schools. Uh, and so I, I don't want to say that those were the same terms, but those are pretty similar principles. I mean, 
all the both parties wanted to, and this is part of the disillusionment. Both parties' uh, leadership said, "We do not want to focus on the negative." We want you as candidates to focus on what you're going to do. We want you to focus on the positive for your constituency. And at that point in time, things were now starting to slide more and more into the political advocacy groups so that you allowed the mudslinging to happen third party, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so, you don't want to get your hands dirty. You hire that shit out, right? Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. In fact. Uh, Outsource. <laughs> you don't want your fingers dirty on something like that as a political candidate. I don't know who ran that ad. I did not endorse that ad, and it's disgusting. And what citizen in their right mind actually believes that? Nobody. I mean, technically, they're absolutely correct. The candidate had no flipping clue that this was going to go down. But they knew it was coming at some point. Yeah, so there absolutely. was a there was the general thought process that, well, yeah, I'm going to do this, but the party and political advocacy groups got my back when we get into the thick of it. So again, there's that disillusionment. Okay, that's an interesting double game to play. Yeah, there's a lot of human psychology in it too, and little mm-hmm. tricks of the little tricks of the brain yeah. that that get through. Which actually leads me back to a question I was going to ask about your political hackery. You're doing hundreds, thousands of door knocking, right? Mm-hmm. Your goal is to, if they are, if they're already with your party or candidate, reaffirm that. And be like, sure. okay, it's a good choice. He's yep. out knocking. That was a, we picked the right guy or gal. Mm-hmm. But then the turn, uh, the other side of that, right, mm-hmm. of the coin is you're going to convert, convert, persuade, yeah. um, attempt to. I don't know. You come across the other party, right? And you were mentioning you had a particular way you do it where you broke the ice with yeah. laughter. Because a lot of what we do in real estate and business is we got to convince people mm-hmm. and or change their minds, either from a product or a service sure, and move them over. Obviously, I think you learned something about that in the process. Would you remember kind of exactly how you did that? When, like you, the hostile Democratic voter, like, you wear your horns. So so you'll laugh at this, Jeremy. We actually, um, there, <laughs> years ago, I was, I was working with a team and we were building a lead generation system and we came up with a phrase that I thought was really good. We were trying to give results in advance. So we were trying to prove to the folks that we were selling a system to that this worked. So we gave them results before they put money down. Well, a lot of money at least. Um, and that was kind of born out of what we had seen or I had seen while, while pounding on doors. We would not just blindly wander into a, a district and say, we're just going to hit every door and every precinct. We targeted our precincts. And then once we had the addresses of the registered voters within specific precincts, we could look at their voting history. And, and please hear me when I say this. We don't know via public records if they pulled R or D. We simply know that their vote was registered on these particular days, which means they showed up at a municipal election or they showed up at a uh, primary election or they showed up at a general election or a school board election. You get the point. It just registered the date that somebody Yeah, you don't know how they voted, just that they voted voted. somewhere. Right. At some election. So using some, you know, strategery and wizardry, we were able to divine, okay, with about a seventy five to eighty percent accuracy rate, these are the homes that we need to hit right now because we're trying to drive a get out the vote mandate. So get out the vote has nothing to do with converting people. It has everything to do with making sure that your base actually shows up. Just vote. Just vote. Exactly. Yeah. So if I'm in the general election and I'm out pounding doors, I've got a list. I've got a database of addresses and folks that live at specific addresses that voted on these particular dates, which tells us most likely these are GOP voters. Mm-hmm. So when I knocked on the door, very infrequently did I run into somebody who was instantly hostile. 
The ones that I did run into that were instantly hostile was more to do with personality with the candidate than anything else. So it wasn't so much that I was knocking on doors, running into Democrats left and right, and then having to battle them and, and make them flip. And so this actually applies really well to real estate too, is right now my business is probably 75 to 80% repeat and referral business. And the new business that's coming online for me is stuff that I've been cultivating for a period of time. It's not like I'm out there knocking on doors, trying to flip folks from one agent to myself. I'm getting people early on in the marketing cycle and saying, here's good here's uh, uh, good quality content. Here's information that you're going to need when the time is right for you to buy or sell. So the oh, uh, a little parallel between both, right? Same thing. Bingo. See, I'm touching my nose. Show results before, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. get out. Okay. So a, literally a direct impression of exactly. what you learned. Okay. Exactly. That's a good lesson. Well, the other thing that I would go along with that is I think many real estate agents miss, and we're talking about real estate agents. Please hear me on that one. Many real estate agents miss what they're actually selling. I think many people would say that we as real, that we as real estate agents are selling homes. Not really. Because at the end of the day, there's this thing called IDX and there's websites that have yeah. internet data exchanges on them that allow homes for sale to be populated. You can't tell me that that's what I'm selling. I guess in some metaphysical way I am, but more importantly, what I'm selling or what I believe that I am selling as a real estate agent is trust. Do you trust me as Todd Waller, real estate agent with X amount of experience behind me that I'm going to have the ability, horsepower and wherewithal to get you across the closing line, closing table line with your goals in mind. I think a lot of people, not just agents, but also in business, they just think of themselves as a commodity mm -hmm. instead of as a service or, no. and I find the people that are most worried about like the Zillows and the Trulias mm -hmm. are, and, and this is not scientific at all. This is just uh, you know, a couple hundred realtors that I've met and real estate sure. agents I've met. Right. Sure. Um, the ones who are most concerned are not exactly what I would call the high performers. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. They're, Acting more like a commodity or they think I'll just get you on my email list and I'll email you homes. And right, right. It takes a salesman, a saleswoman to, to sell a home. And, and that's a lot more than just access to information, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So there, there's, there's a, a strong parallel, I would say, in between the, the door knocking, how it was targeted and, and how I think a very effective way of running a real estate business now, uh, can be done. Yeah. Probably helps you with the butt hurt feelings too, right? Because that happens. There's no, just no way. Really? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. People people say bad things about you. They don't like because well, there's so many moving parts. They don't necessarily. You are well. Screw this. I'm jumping on my unicorn that farts rainbows and leaving. <laughs> Jeez. You're like the tip of the spear. And there's 15 people behind you uh, who could all screw up your deal, mm -hmm. but they don't know who those people are for the most Correct. part. And you're the one who are physically in front of them, right? So, yeah. So I, yeah, there's um, there's a high potential. I mean, we're messing – messing is the wrong term. We are, we are dealing with people's homes. We're dealing with their lives. I mean, number one, a home is an outward expression of a person's lifestyle, of their choices, of who they are. So it is a physical manifestation of who somebody thinks of them, how somebody thinks of themselves, who they see themselves to be. I, it just – it is. You, yeah, by the Human family routines day in, day out. Right. right. And the house reflects – the routines, correct? Exactly. The location, what it looks like, just all those factors are tied in there. Whether or not it's openly and consciously thought of is an entirely separate question. It's still that physical manifestation of the people that live there and that purchased it. On top of that, there's also the financial component. We, we are entrusted with helping people buy and sell most likely their largest single asset in their entire life. 
I bet for most people it is the, yeah. the single largest asset, right? Exactly. And we can quibble over asset or not too, but that's an entirely separate issue. Yeah. The point of that all is we as real estate agents are uh, burdened, I think is the right term, with a, a fierce responsibility. And that fierce responsibility is to make sure that when our clients come to us and say, we want a two-bedroom, bath-and-a-half condo in the city of Ann Arbor, and we need it to be under $150,000, guess what? They're expressing to us as agents exactly what they're looking for and how they see themselves right now. That Again, it's that physical manifestation. And on top of that, the, the, the financial component is there so that we help them get into or out of, if they're selling, uh, a home with as little pain as possible. We, we don't want to leave our clients with, uh, we don't want to leave them in a, a world of financial hurt. We want them to be in a good place when they walk in so that when they go to turn around and sell it, number one, they remember the time that they had in acquiring the property. And if we've done our job as a real estate agent, we've stayed in touch with them so that when they go to turn around and sell it, they're in a position that they can sell it and not have that financial pain on the disposition of the property as well. Well, yeah. And it's also... I mean, the cheapest customer is the one you keep, right? Instead yeah. of getting yep. the getting the new one too. And I think sure that's where I'll stay in contact with them. It's good advice. Yeah. So I'm going to skip forward because I'm interested. And then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna come back because you you were talking about your 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 sales funnel and your process mm-hmm. and getting in front of them. Sure. How how early are you getting in front of buyers sure. and sellers? Right? Because you said you're you're getting in front of them before they. Leading with results before yep. they need you, yep. kind of like a get out the vote, get out the sell. You're sure. going to sell the average person every seven years right. is going to turn over to real estate. So you want to get in front of them before they do that. How early are you getting to them? So it looks like I'm about two and a half, maybe three months out in front of a lot of buyers right now. Um, this this year, 2016, has been uh, a, a phenomenal start, quite frankly. A lot of momentum already started. And the conversations that I'm having with people that are are talking to me about real estate right now, the majority of them are saying, this is the year, but we want to figure out X, Y, and Z. Or if the right property pops up, then we'll jump on it. And by the way, we have a place to sell that kind of thing. So um, I would say that we're about two and a half, three months in front of uh, folks that are on the purchasing side. When it comes to uh, the listing side, it feels a little bit longer than that. Uh, I'm still talking with folks that I chatted with back in uh, September and October of last year about getting their home ready, waiting for some life uh, circumstances to change so that it's time for them to put the home on the market and, and move forward at that point in time. So two and a half, three months. The reason why I ask is because I want to say this. It's like farming, right? Yeah. It is. It is. You got to plant the seeds and you got to, well, I think I get frustrated with people like, it did immediately happen what I wanted it to. Why don't you want to do what I want to do? <laughs> that's, that's not exactly how it works. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how any of this no, works. You got to do what they want to do yeah. and try and keep them from making too many terrible mistakes if you can. Boy, and I tell you what, Jeremy, you just hit on something. Um, one of the things that, that really sucked in the downturn was commission breath. Man, agents, the downturn, it was tough. There's no question about it. Many of us hung on <laughs> by the skin of our teeth, quite frankly. What was amazing was the amount of desperation within the industry as agents just to make deals come together. Um, and, and you know what? Consumers can smell that a mile away. And so if there's a new agent listening to this or even a seasoned agent listening to this that's struggling, you got to walk away from focusing on your pocketbook. You cannot focus on your pocketbook. Yeah, that doesn't work. I'm, what is that? Uh, God, I love that movie with the pot smoking cops. Uh, what was it? when It's like, desperation's a stinky cologne, John. Uh, 
the schnozberries taste oh, like super troopers super troopers yeah <laughs> desperation is a stinky cologne you know and you're it right is. people can smell it like yeah. wait a second yep yep like i for better or worse it's not a smell that people like right if you're yep. leading with your your wallet yep. they might be like okay well and and everybody, you don't have my best interests at heart bingo. right and yeah. and everybody I had once had a, a trainer or coach say, well, everyone's tuned in to WW, uh, WIIFM. And the whole class just kind of stared at him and went, what? It, what's in it for me? WIIFM. You know what? We're all that way. Never mind if you're in sales or not. Every person is dialed into what's in it for me. And if we as salespeople know this, if we as human beings know this, screw the salesman bit, if we as human beings understand that everyone around us, ourselves included, are more tuned in to WIIFM than anything else, guess what? We know how to then approach people. We also know how we're being approached. So if if I understand that a consumer is really only concerned about them getting to the closing table and selling their home and selling their home for this amount of money – Guess what? My problem-solving skills start kicking in at that point. It's like, okay, how can we get these folks to sell their home across the line at this point in time and net them this amount of money? Now, all of a sudden, I can speak their language. Now, I can communicate with them, and I can communicate. I honestly care about them because I've understood that they're only concerned about their needs, their goals. And if I can address their needs and their goals, then I can be their agent and walk them right on through the process and get there. Yeah, Again, not every listing or buyer mm-hmm. is a good fit either. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I find there's a lot of that just get the listing mm-hmm. or in the investor world, just get the contract. Right. Just get the contract, but if you're not solving anybody's problems, very unlikely to actually get that contract or listing or that buyer closed, right? right. Which well, then you're not helping anybody. You're not helping them achieve their goal, and you're not getting paid. So that's just lose-lose right there. Right, and recognizing that we op- operate in different realms of the real estate industry here in Southeast Michigan as an agent, if you're able to solve people's problems and solve it with grace – in other words, make it look real simple, one hand tied behind your back. You get everyone to the table and you solve everyone's problems. People remember that because they will remember how you treated them. They will remember that you solve their problems on the way to the closing table. Again, I, I can't emphasize it enough. 75 to 80% of my business right now is repeat and referral. has been for the last few years. I am, I think the right word is blessed to have that level of repeat and referral business. And it speaks to Apparently, I've been good at addressing people's problems and handling it with grace, getting people to the closing table because they're trusting me with their family and their friends and they're coming back. All right. Let's rewind. You're finished with political hackery, <laughs> disillusioned, and you actually want to spend time with your wife. What a novel It'd concept. Be a good right? idea. Yeah. Who are you again? Oh, yeah. I married you. <laughs> and I live with you, I guess. Um, and your friend is like, you know what? I think you'd be good sure. as a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. So... Where'd you start and what'd that look like? And I'm sure there was a process too, right? Yeah, it turned out to be a process. There didn't seem to be a lot of thought behind it, but uh, there was a process. Um, So uh, I spent two weekends tailing this one agent on his appointments and realized, yeah, this this actually fits well. This this fits a niche that I actually have. This is a skill set that I've got. I can hone it further. Okay, let's do this. Uh, Turned in my two weeks and I've got a great story actually at how the whole thing kicked off. We, um, it was the month of February, 2002. Yeah. February, 2002. Holy smokes. That's actually 14 years ago. Um, time flies. It does. Um, I started working for this agent and the, the story is that he paid once a month at the end of the month. I had just walked away from a uh, job that paid you every other week. 
So the safety and security thing went right out the window because I'm not getting paid as frequently as I thought. Now, understand my wife's an operating room nurse at the University of Michigan. So we weren't in dire straits, but we paid all of our bills and did all our fun stuff right at the beginning of the month and looked at the balance in the checkbook and went, um, well, so I guess what we've got in the pantry is what we're going to have to eat for the rest of the month. <laughs> Staying in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what was really cool about that actually is number one, February is obviously a short month unless it's an election year, uh, presidential election year that is. Uh, and, um, we've got family that's within like 20 minutes of where we live. So the story that I've got really quickly is that in a very short month and the month that we needed it, uh, every week our folks or my in-laws sent us home with leftovers, enough leftovers to go through the entire week. Nice. It was an amazing month for us as a family. It was really neat for us as a couple to experience that and go, Okay, this whole community thing actually it works. Didn't expect this. It was really yeah, on a neat. side note and trying not to sound too much like a conservative show. It doesn't seem like anybody really gives a shit about marriages anymore, do they? <laughs> no. Yeah, like yeah, whatever. You're just gonna end up divorced in seven years anyway. Yeah, it's. Uh, I like the Except, attitude that they were looking out for you and helping out. That's uh, we. My wife and I come from. We could very, use some more of that. I would say. I appreciate that. My my folks and and my in laws are phenomenal. My in laws treat me like their own son, and uh, so it's. On a very personal level, I'm happy to chat about that too uh, with anybody. But um, my my in laws, my family, uh, phenomenal folks all the way around. So not surprised when I look back that that happened. But at the same time, it was still a neat neat surprise, neat blessing to to have across that month. And they had no clue what was going on. That's even more important. That is. <laughs> They didn't know. And I'm not yeah. suggesting that somebody who wasn't married couldn't have that right. kind of care or right. not. It just, it seems to be lacking yep. in that department. It doesn't happen frequently. Yeah. Somehow yeah. it just became associated with conservative values instead of, I don't know. I'm not Politics of identity. Yeah, friend. exactly right. Politics <laughs> of identity. So you tail this person for yep. a couple of weekends. You're like, you know, I could do this. Yep. There's a gap. I started working with him as an admin um, and f- uh, filled that position as his administrator, administrative assistant for about six months. Um, so did that. And, um, towards the end of that six months, went and took my class, uh, passed my exam. And I think it was July 3rd that my license actually came back from the state uh, of that year. So July, uh, 2002, uh, is when I, I was officially licensed. So I then stayed on for another, uh, seven months as his part-time admin and uh, buyer's agent. So I had a role of just wandering around helping people buy and sell. I wasn't strictly just a buyer's agent. I could list as well. Uh, but honestly, in that 13 months, learned more from him on what not to do than I did what to do, mm. which is sad, honestly. Um, he, he was a great, he is a great guy, uh, knows his way around real estate pretty well, but was so busy and and had so much going on that huge balls were dropped along the way. He was able to recover from it because of how he transacts business and who he is. People trust him a lot, which is great. And I think that may be one of the subsidiary lessons that I learned out of there is that when you've got somebody's trust, you, you've got a lot. And so there's a, for me, at least there's a, a burden that comes with that, that if somebody trusts me, I really got to do everything I can not to let them down. Uh, so when small mistakes are made, I kind of beat myself up for about a day and a half that I fumbled the ball on something, but it also taught me when you fumble the ball, you own it. Number one, number two, you do everything you can to fix it and fix it as quickly as possible. Because you need to rebuild that trust. It takes a while to build the trust. It takes a moment to break it. And if you got to rebuild that trust, and it's worth it, you need to continue to to rebuild that trust to bring it back to the former level that you had. You got to learn from everybody too. Try to. Yeah, I I've done it. I've <laughs> dropped the ball. I mean, 
you have bad systems, mm-hmm. I can say I know a lot better today what I'm not. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's that's an important lesson. I will not be a leader of men. I think that's pretty obvious at this point, which is fine. I'm not losing any sleep over it or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it's good to know what you are and, and what you're not. So there's obviously a lot of positive traits, and then oh, yeah. you learned a lot of things yep. on what you would do better. What was that? I don't know. What was that process like? Because it was the first time you were in real estate. So I'm sure. just interested. Because I, I have a similar, very negative disillusion, but I'm not, this sounds like <laughs> yours is a positive story too. So I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing what yeah. that looked like. So obviously still in the business. So it didn't scare me, uh, but I saw how things could be done differently and uh, more effectively and more efficiently. Now, understand, too, this is 2002 that I'm entering into the business. Um, The real estate uh, realm online is really starting to catch some traction. Uh, 94 is when Internet and real estate started interacting. So we're eight years out from that at this point in time. Uh, So it's still relatively young how um, data moves across the Internet with regards to real estate. There were still lots of places that had books still. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We had all those doorstops in my original office. Holy the people smokes. who listen to this are mostly young, and I don't think they believe this shit. I'm like, there, there was actually a book of the MLS. I know it's hard to believe. Well, back in my day, it wasn't a book. It was a stone tablet, and it's Moses stone. came down <laughs> off the mountain, and he chiseled that bad boy together. He yeah. did that once a month. Uh, oh, well, he dropped the other two, right? Like, <laughs> 20. No, 10. <laughs> 10. Do I hear five? <laughs> There was actually a book of the MLS yep. and the pioneers yep. were trying to do this whole, the internet's never going to make it. Yeah. It's about so, pressing the flesh and shaking the hands. And, and, and there's a lot to be said, and I'll call it the old school realm, right? There's a lot to be said about the old school realm of real estate, pressing the flesh, getting belly to belly with people and talking with people. At the end of the day, I don't know how you're going to transact a real estate transaction without communicating with somebody. I don't know how that's going to happen. And that spins off into the whole idea of getting the real estate agent out of the transaction. I don't ever see that happening for the sole reason that you can look at data, but it takes a human mind to interpret that data on a case-by-case basis for the individual clients. So again, I'm driving back to the point that as a salesman, the thing I'm selling is not the home. What I'm selling is my ability, my expertise, my analysis of the data and how it applies to this specific client, this specific consumer. So what did I learn? What was I learning when I first get in the in the business? I'm learning that these books are a pain in the rear. I'm learning that the, um, the nascent MLS that we're working with at that point in time has a lot to be desired. You know, we had this mentality, and, and some of us still do in real estate, and I don't get it. We still have this mentality that the listings are ours. Yeah. That this data is ours and that we're the gatekeepers. <sighs> yeah, that's like uh, ancient ancient history at this point. You were really not yeah. getting with the game. Data data on the internet is like politics and yep. money. Money and politics, it gonna flow. Nope. And data in real estate, it gonna flow. Yep. Again, this is why in my bio I kind of mentioned that I'm 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 helping people mine the data. I'm helping them find the good stuff. There's a lot of data out there. And what I found early on is all of that data needs to be consolidated, if you will, into here's the good stuff. All this other stuff is out there, and that's fine, and, and that's great to look at, but here's where the good stuff is. And I wanted to drive my clients to what I felt was the best repository of data for them to choose on the sale or the purchase of their, their home. Um, so early on, recognized, okay, systems will be important because once you get under contract, you're basically doing same things. you got to change the dates. you got to dot these I's and cross those T's, but it's 
pretty much the same thing. Same again process. And again, yep, and again. Loans, title yeah. company, title insurance, all that set in the date, move and your shit out, move your shit out. Every one in. of those has a distinct personality behind it. Yeah. The lender, the title company. So you, as an agent, as a loan agent, not even having a team, as a loan agent, you have to learn how to communicate with, you know, what, five different personalities on one transaction? Yeah, it's like cat herding. <laughs> takes a special kind of person. It, uh, Cat herding may not be the most descriptive, but it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> At least as far as uh, frustration is concerned, yes. right? Like yes. you're not actually cat herding, but it could be as frustrating yeah, as you're cat You're not actually herding. getting scratched. Yeah. Well, it's like, wait, where's everybody going? God. <laughs> all right. I'm going to do this again. I thought you wanted to go this way. We're all going this way. Yep. Yep. Systems are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned that the hard way. You don't have systems. And if you are the system, ugh, yep, that's that's the end of that. That's not a system. That's a that's a patch. Yeah, I was just waiting to give out the second you drop or you, you can't do anymore. Or the yep. Shit hits the fan, right? It's funny because that's that's actually the the conundrum that I'm in right now. Is as the chief cook and bottle washer of of the business that I do right now, I am constantly noodling over. Okay, what am I doing on a regular basis that I can turn over to somebody else and still have the same attention to detail, the same personal attention to detail that I think my consumers deserve? It's one thing to have a system. It's another thing to have a system with warmth behind it, if you will, a personality behind it. So when did you go out on your own? Ah. Great question. So I was with that agent for 13 months combined, um, did 12 transactions across those 13 months. Not bad. And I was rookie of the year in our, our Remax office there in Ann Arbor. Oh, so uh, you started with Remax. I did. Okay. Uh, it yeah. was definitely a sink or swim at that point in time. At that point, uh, Remax was still 100%. So once you capped out at 17000 a year or something like that in commission, you were 100%. Um, and I really, I mean, again, considering the brand of politics that I played, um, I really like the sink or swim attitude. Like I can do this. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I don't want to be paid for anything I haven't done. Bingo. And if I didn't get it done, I, I didn't get it done. Exactly. Exactly. There's, you don't get paid for almost getting it done. <laughs> right. I think that's what's really what's wrong with a lot of this world as well. You get, you came close. No. Close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear. Warfare. Yeah. If it's not one of those things. <laughs> close ain't good enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, I could see why you would like that. Well, yep. I think it's hard to be a, uh, high performer if you're not like that right i don't don't, maybe not i don't know i I would say i I don't know any other way to be (laughs) if you want to get paid for half finished work probably not gonna be i don't know a better way to learn than be disappointed in your work right you didn't get it done you didn't get paid that shit hurts again sink or swim hurts it makes you better like oh my Mm -hmm. god i said can't i screw that up i didn't get it done yeah and then you're like you pay it to where I go wrong at least i do i'm like well geez man i want to especially when you have hours into something and it's gone you're like where did I go wrong? I obviously didn't get that done. I understand that completely. And yet what I find myself do, doing, unfortunately, is constantly rehashing those conversations. Yeah. And what I need to do is get through that cycle a lot faster and not rehash where did I go wrong? Why did I do that? But I need to get back to, yeah, that was a mistake. Learn from it. Move forward. I give myself an hour. <clears throat> I, could, I wish I could. Yeah, because I beat myself up really bad. So I'm like, okay, I give myself an hour and then I go, some will, some yeah. won't. So what? Who's next? And yep. that's not the best way to handle it, but... It helps me like shut the book. I'm like, okay, I'll come back when I'm not going to just tear myself apart about this and move on. Because I don't want to screw up all the other ones I have going, right? right? Yep, yep, yep. You dropped one. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's broke. You're not going to fix it. You did the best you can. Next. Next. Yep. 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 So you went on your own and? I went on my own after about uh, 13 months. And part of the reason I went on my own was the realization that 80% of the business that I generated that first year was self-generated. 
Um, I had the expectation that uh, the agent would feed me a little bit more than he had. I thought it was going to be closer to like a 50-50 break. But when I realized that it was an 80%, 20% run, you know, the numbers start running through my head. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just gave up. What? Yeah. <laughs> to be underneath this guy to learn what not to do? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so stepped out on my own. So that would have been what, 2003-ish, towards the end of 2003, somewhere in there, middle of. Um, and so that was uh, – Again, still at Remax as a single agent with those desk bills uh, and being entirely in a sink or swim mentality. So along the lines, I'm also starting to stare at um, what the housing stats that are being released by – at the time, I was part of the uh, Ann Arbor Area Board of Realtors. Um, and the housing stats that they were sending out at that point in time, they were interpreted by the local media as these are the numbers for Washtenaw County. Except when I dove into the numbers, I realized, well, wait a minute. I know I'm a member of the Ann Arbor Area Board of Realtors, but I'm selling stuff out in Farmington Hills and Canton and Plymouth, and those numbers are being reported over here as Washtenaw County. That doesn't make Interesting. sense. Interesting. Yeah. Like, hold on. Yeah. And I don't think there was... Human error. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't think it was a... I just think it was an oversight. It wasn't an intentional mistake or anything along those lines, but I saw an opportunity. Uh, so I started creating on my own uh, monthly and quarterly stats, stat reports. And I would break things down on uh, MLS area by MLS area by price point and by residential or condominium uh, listing profile sheets. So this is like a value proposition you're creating. You're taking this information, you're refining it yep. to the relevant information for a particular farm, yeah. right? Yeah, Which exactly. was Where was that at the time? Was it Ann Arbor? Or? So it would have been Ann Arbor. Yep. Um, so uh, you're farming Ann Arbor yep. with access to good, good, relevant information, housing stats. There you go. So young Todd, the marketer right now, isn't necessarily picking up on what the game is. I'm just, I'm creating number one, busy work for myself. I'm getting to know my stats inside and out and I'm getting to know the marketplace inside and out. I wasn't doing a very good job of connecting or communicating back with the people that I was trying to connect and communicate with. But through the process, realize there's a business opportunity here because as I'm going through these stats, I've got other agents in the area and in the marketplace going, Wait, you're doing what? We'd pay you for that. There's literally people on Facebook now who make millions of dollars doing what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Just on Facebook, just sharing information. Yeah. YouTube as well. Yeah. Not always good information too, yeah. but <laughs> I'm just saying the business model is not a bad business model, right? It was there, but that was never my focus as I want this to be my primary. My focus was always real estate. I, I want to be in this industry over here. Well, yeah, it was debate, right? All right. So uh, Buddy and I, uh, a cli- he turned into a client. We knew each other from church through our families, and I helped him buy his, his first mm-hmm. house. And um, when I was sharing with him what I was doing in the process of helping him buy a house, he's like, you do know I'm, I'm like a coder. He says, I'm, I'm a software engineer. He said, are you doing this by hand? Yeah. He says, I can automate this. Are you kidding me? Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a nice conversation with the MLS, uh, our board, and they gave me a feed. And I gave the feed to my data guy. And he was able to grab that information exactly as I wanted it. And then he formatted charts and graphs for me. And then once a month, I'd sit down for a couple hours and I'd I'd put together an analysis. Go figure. Automotive market analyst to uh, real estate analyst. Yeehaw. So I had a neat little business with my, my buddy rolling for a couple of years there selling real estate stats to um, folks in the Ann Arbor area marketplace. Sweet. Yeah. And you can't do that without learning everything about the marketplace either. Right. Bingo. So that's like, that's uh, 
I like things where you could do it with multiple benefits, right? Well, and so it's really funny. Call that key, keystones, yeah. you know? It's like, oh, I do this one thing and yeah. I get all these other benefits as well. And the beautiful part was, and, and this is kind of, I say beautiful part because it, 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 it was, but at the same time, it was really horrid. Um, so this ran through the run-up, if you will, from you know into 06, 07, right before the crunch. And when the crunch happened... My buddy and I were looking at the numbers that were coming out, and everyone is screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, I was able to look conclusively and see before the analysts, the professional analysts were saying it, I was able to look and see, no, the sky is not falling. We have the same number of closings actually happening. The same number of transactions are still taking place. The problem is there's no demand and inventory is off the charts. It's just taking off. So it was great to be able to walk into a client's, a potential client's home and say, look, this is a very rough market right now. The industry hasn't caught on to this yet. Here are the numbers. Here's what it looks like. If you're going to sell your house, here's exactly what you need to do because you've got all of this competition. You need to do something to make yourself stand out. Usually that means you got to have a better price than everybody else. And when I was able to talk with somebody and show them that better price was the way to go on and off the market in like half the the average days on market, it was good. I find too that a lot of the most successful people found their success during the shit times. You know, it's kind of like you make it there during that time. You can make it at any time. And the people who, who fall out and disappear, and this is not scientific either. This is a couple hundred people I've known, but it, it's enough that there's at least a strong correlation, mm-hmm. perhaps not causation, right? Well, I, I'd argue that a lot of the personal growth, so we'll just step it back personally, I guess. A lot of personal growth happens in times of adversity as opposed to times of goodness, if that makes sense. Absolutely. At least for me, it did. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know anybody that I've talked to that says otherwise. I think most growth happens because of pain. So why doesn't, I mean, that should also apply on a macro scale too. I would agree. I would argue. So. I would say, yeah, I, I personally cannot do it without, I, I cannot be comfortable and accomplish what I want to accomplish. It just does not work. My body just completely turns on me, goes into my brain, gets soft. Yeah. And I tried it. It does not work. Well, and this this is why, to an earlier conversation here in the podcast, this is why fear works. Yeah. This is why pandering to fear works. This is why politicians run the campaigns that they do. This is why dirt sells. This is why dirty politics is. It actually works. It works. It's way more effective. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. So were you still at Remax when you left, or where did you – I'm just kind of curious what um, – So funny. Uh, I was part of Remax Community Associates, uh, which was the Washtenaw County franchise at that point in time. I forget exactly what the date was. I want to say it was 05, 04, somewhere in there. Um, Real Estate One came to the owners of Remax uh, Community Associates, or maybe it was the other way around. Um, Anyway, there was a meeting of the minds. And so the owners of the Community Associates franchise um, sold out to the Real Estate One franchise. And so as Remax Community Associates agents, we got folded into the Real Estate One Ann Arbor office or any of the satellite offices that they had around uh, Washtenaw County at that point in time. So uh, my arc was Remax, Real Estate One. Uh, and then I went to a, uh, a boutique uh, brokerage in downtown Plymouth for a few years. Yeah, I'm definitely going to ask about that. Yeah. And then uh, bounce from the boutique uh, brokerage to uh, where I am now. So now the broker's name is uh, broker's name is Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Snyder and Company. We kill a lot of ink, uh, but that's also Uncle Warren's. <laughs> so we're good. 
but originally it was called Prudential. So when I came out of Plymouth and back to the Ann Arbor marketplace, it was Prudential Snyder. Um, and part of the reason I went there is because I had been told that Berkshire Hathaway and I had seen Berkshire Hathaway was about the business of flipping Prudential franchises into the BHHS name. And for me, um, looking at Berkshire Hathaway as a brand, as a name made sense. Because uh, Berkshire Hathaway carries a lot of cachet all by itself, and a lot of it has to do with you know high honesty, high integrity, high character counts. Um, and I like to think that that's that describes my personal brand as an individual agent. Now, understand too, I've never been a huge advocate of the brand as it affects the agent. I've always felt that the agent is their own brand. A consumer, it's very hard to um, uh, to convince me that a, uh, consumers work with an agent because they work at a specific brokerage. I firmly believe it has everything to do with the agent's personal brand. So for me, choosing a brand because of their perceived cachet was kind of around the bend. However, it's actually worked out pretty well. I've actually had some business actually added to my bottom line because of the brand that I've been with. You go to a, a social gathering or something like that, and you mention that you're with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and all of a sudden you got an arm around your shoulder. Hey, that's Uncle Warren's place, isn't it? Well, by golly, it is. <laughs> it's nice that it doesn't hurt to have no. a big name that's relatively well-liked and well-thought of in this world, right? Yeah, I, I would agree. I just, I never, I never would have thought that it would have done anything, and yet this one did. That's interesting. Yeah. So I actually... Met you mm-hmm. off of the Twitter verse at Twitters. Professional One. Yep. Because I can't remember the other guy's name, but you guys were just fucking hilarious. At <laughs> Dennis, I think it was Dennis Facet that um, turned turned me on to. He's like, you should follow. The, if you want to know what to do on social media, you should follow. <laughs> and he had several, and one of them sure. was Todd Waller, and I went to Todd Waller, and I saw at Professional One. Mm-hmm. Um. I was very, it was very, and that was really early too sure. in the in the Twitterverse, and I couldn't keep up. It was <laughs> Twitter. Twitter was like, a, it's like the uh, the high school uh, lunchroom oh of gosh. activity. Yep. And you missed ten minutes. You missed the whole damn thing, right? Yep, I could just never. I tried so hard too. I was like, I could do the Todd thing. I just always oh, just failed epically. <laughs> but jeez, yeah, I just couldn't do it. I tried really hard. So now I just use it completely as push. I've just yep. until I could get my head around it. I just completely gave up on it. But that's where I met you mm-hmm. with Professional One. Yep. And as much as you're comfortable telling, sure, sure. Because um, I thought it was an interesting idea you that mm-hmm. you guys had or whoever had it sure, sure. had. So if you don't mind going over that, yeah. yeah. So Professional One was the boutique brokerage in downtown Plymouth. I say was, they still are uh, a boutique brokerage in downtown Plymouth. Um, and the concept there uh, had everything to do with high character, high quality, high integrity agents. The aim was to uh, raise the bar within the real estate industry because uh, the recognition was there that, again, it's 40 hours of a class, maybe $1,000 pass an exam, boom, you can mess up someone's financial future for a lifetime. Yay. Um that just seems to be so off base as to how real estate as agents should be practiced, should be approached. Uh, and so the attitude with, with uh, professional one as a brokerage was let's, let's create a base of excellence and let's do what we can within the independent contractor status of agents to um, enforce to some extent quality. Yeah. Raise the bar. That's one of the things the I bar. liked about it because yeah. As I go back and forth on who's worse, real estate agents or real estate investors, and depending on the day. But yeah, yeah. back to the quote, 
it's not actually that hard to stand out. I wish no. that wasn't the case, but I always like that raise the bar because I always said I was never going to be a real estate agent. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. That's what you get. The, uh, we, we were talking earlier. I was like, this is why I stopped saying never. <laughs> I stopped years ago, but I'm still being haunted by the shit I said never on. Right. Um, but that, that always, that appealed to me because, and I think this is probably true of most fields. I looked around I'm like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. this is terrible. I well, I think the reality is that every industry that that has people in it. Oh wait, that's every industry. That's every industry. Crazy. Yeah. Um, you've got the entire spectrum of humanity in there. So um, it's not to say that that the initiative for raise the bar is off base. It isn't. I, I think it's a very noble and correct thing to be pursuing. Um, how you do that is entirely up for debate. I mean, there's, geez, there's advocates for you need to have at least a college degree. And then you have the exceptions to the rule where people are dyslexic and they're just killing it in the real estate industry because they just have the drive. And by killing it, it's not just they're lining their pockets with, with greenbacks, but they are actually taking great care of their clients. Well, as the holder of a liberal arts degree, I can tell you that my degree is a piece of paper with the signature of the dean that says this kid's trainable. It's not a specialized degree. I mean, it was for me because it was poli sci and I really enjoyed it and I still like it and try to apply it and practice it. But at the end of the day, it's a liberal arts degree. I, I can't, I can't make the logical leap that having a degree, never mind what it is, then equates to can actually practice real estate well. I think there's correlation potentially there. Causation? Not so much, because uh, I under I, I also see too that folks with uh, degrees in real estate have issues on being successful within real estate to some extent because there's not a there's a lot of book smarts there, but not a heck of a lot of street smarts, and that's where I'll argue that my time as a political hack. Hell yeah, it gives you that's some like of that. trial by fire though too, Bingo. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So not everybody's cut out for that. No, I, and and you have to be able to bob and weave on your feet. Yes. And sometimes you're going to get hit despite your best efforts, right? <laughs> sometimes you run into it. <laughs> and sometimes they take you out from behind. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that, that's, I think that's not an accident that difficult jobs produce better results if you can, if you can stick with it, sure. right? Cause you just get, you get a lot of at bats and you can handle yep. enough, you know, <laughs> apathy and hate and despair that you get, you just learn how to handle it with certain kinds of people. Sure. That doesn't hurt. So what I found interesting when you were at Professional One was you, and this is early, I think it was 2007, uh, It would have been 2009. Nine. Yeah. It's pretty early. I know it seems crazy. It's only been like, what, seven years, but it was really early Still. in the social media thing. And yep. you guys, you, um, I followed you mostly, I followed the other guy for a little while, um, but you really pushed into the social media. Really, it was like the pioneering, mm-hmm. put the flag, lots sure. of different. Can you kind of describe how sure. you started and how it progressed and what you learned in the social media world? Because I still see yeah. people only mm-hmm. pushing, and I'm guilty on Twitter. Sure. I just push. Well, right? and, and to be fair, there's an evolution underway within social media. And there always will be. Uh, so, um, yeah, early adopter on Twitter. And we 
we ran with Twitter because we saw it as a great medium with which to communicate short bites. So number one, it allowed you or forced you to hone your message. <laughs> it forced you to become uh, sharp on communication. You only had 140 characters and less if you threw in a picture or yeah. or some kind of URL or something like that. Um, so there were two things that went on there that I thoroughly enjoyed. Number one was the honing of the message. You had to craft your message to get your point across. Uh, the other thing that I thoroughly enjoyed about that too is to be decent at Twitter at the level I think that we were at, you had to be technically, um, uh, conversant. You had to be able to bob and weave. So I had never tinkered around with URL shorteners until before Twitter, uh, until Twitter. Yeah, you had to. Well, yeah. You need those eight extra characters. <laughs> You're not getting it. That's Twitter. exactly right. I'm going to bit.ly. Exactly. <laughs> so you had to kind of goof around a little bit there and, and learn to, I don't want to say manipulate. That's not the right way to put it, but how to work with the system to make it do what you wanted it to do and how you wanted it to communicate. So, um, like right now, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. My my Twitter presence right now is not at all what it used to be. Uh, there's a little bit of automation going on there when it gets to the right temperature and it might rain and stuff like that. But it's valuable content information that's going out there. Is there a lot of interaction happening over there on my feed? No. Which well, is sometimes kind of where you start is not where you finish too, right? Well, and that's a good point because then somebody introduced us to this thing called Facebook. Yeah. Now we had our accounts, you know, the broker and I had our accounts on Facebook already, but we just didn't see it. We didn't get it. It wasn't fitting. And we were rocking and rolling over there on Twitter, having a rip roaring good time. Their side benefit was Twitter allowed us to connect with a bunch of agents across the country. So now our thought process as this little boutique in downtown Plymouth. I was going to get to that. Yeah, I thought that was the part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was, I think, the icing on the cake because now we're able to connect with folks on the coasts. And let's just call a spade a spade. We're here in the Midwest. Um, it's not that we're backwards. We're just not as forward as folks may be on the coast. How's that? My wife and I describe it when we moved out to the Midwest as going back in time 30 years. In a lot of ways, in some ways, it's not true at all. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it really is true. So <laughs> uh, if you've been on a coast, especially the West Coast, sure. it's the bleeding edge of everything, yep. including all the fallout. Yep. So maybe you can think of it as we adopt after it's been adopted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, you hooked up with a lot of people who are very like-minded right. on Twitter because of that aggressive stance you guys were taking. Exactly. And, and even before I got to Professional One, I had been running my own personal real estate blog and had been a part of things called, uh, it was Carnival of Real Estate, uh, was one of the things early on that some of the real estate bloggers were a part of. Well, Twitter just exploded that idea of the Carnival of Real Estate. So if you had a really good post or you thought it was a really good post, about real estate, be it local uh, or national in scope, you tossed it into this CORE, we called it the core, and uh, it would get voted up or down, and there would be a weekly summation. You know, One of us would host the Carnival of Real Estate on our blog, and then uh, we would create one post with the top five posts, for example, and we'd have votes on it, and we'd have comments, and it was great for SEO and all that fun jazz. Well, Twitter comes blowing along. All of a sudden, core just explodes. Because, oh my gosh, look at the exposure that you now have. Otherwise, we were going through things like Active Rain uh, Real Estate Network. Uh, some of us even tried to use LinkedIn, I think, back then to make some of that happen. But a lot of this stuff was just finding stuff, um, finding people's blogs via RSS feeds and communicating via the comments section on each blog. So what's happened over time now is a lot of comments don't actually get on the blogs. It's all on the Book of Faces, and it's all on the Twitters. Yeah, I had to because of freaking spam. Yep. Yeah, you got it. they ruined it. I remember I, 
I don't even have comments anymore. I had to get rid of them because I didn't have time to police the spam. Yeah. Yep. Damn spammers. That's where that idea went wrong. <laughs> Good idea, though. And the, the Book of Faces, which I love. Oh, uh, yes. I can't help but love it. It's my pace of conversation. I can come back to it again <laughs> and again. And I didn't lose the conversation. It's still there. Whereas Twitter, I was like the four-year-old. What? I missed. I just missed the whole thing. Like, you, you feel like. Uh, I'm all alone here. <laughs> you feel like dog in the movie Up. Yeah. Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> or I show up and everybody's already gone. I'm like, oh. <laughs> the party's gone. <laughs> I like there's just there was some sort of code I was always missing. Like where like hey I'm here guys. I'm like oh Jeremy's late again. He's, we're over here now. I'm like what? It's uh, two a.m. Jeremy, go to sleep. Yeah, I was like stop. I'm like oh, where Facebook I can keep, I can keep up with that. I come back twelve hours later. I'm like oh yeah. <laughs> oh you're wrong, Mister <laughs> Poopy Pants. <laughs> I actually think you've called me that more than once. Poopy Pants. <laughs> I don't think I was probably that nice about it. Maybe no, I was. No. Uh, so professional one yeah. came to an end at some point. Um, at least my involvement in. Yes, yes. your your involvement. In. Sorry, I didn't know. No me. Professional one is still here. So, yep. as comfortable as you are, why did you leave? Um, what worked? What didn't work? And obviously, it had some effect because a lot of the things kind of it's kind of carried over. Like took some of the good, left some of the bad, that kind of thing. Yeah. So so. Um walking away from professional one, probably not something I'm going to wander through just FYI for you. Yes. No problem. Um, so what I took from that experience was, um, really it is, it is important. We're, we're seeing one of the things that we did at professional one that I thought was really, uh, not just innovative, but forward thinking was actually going on the streets in Plymouth with a video camera and some props. And we actually asked consumers, people on the street, what do you know about these brands? So we actually had a video put out uh, about consumers' viewpoints on specific brands within real estate. And we had, you know, like Prudential and Coldwell Banker and Remax and Keller Williams, all these fun things written down and said, what can you tell us about these? What are these? And people would be like, well, I think those are real estate brokers. Oh, that's great. Um, can you tell us what the differentiator is between these? And almost to a person, the response was, yeah, they're just real estate brokers. There's no difference between any of them. That is hilarious. All the billions of dollars spent. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the best I got was somebody looked at Remax and said, well, they're the ones with the balloon, right? And again, we were scribbling this out, so we weren't using logos. People were just reading the words. Um, so I, that that sat with me. And again, I made the comment earlier about me not being a huge advocate for brand when it comes to the real estate agent. It, it's the real estate agent's brand that's more important than the franchise brand. Um, and so I, I've run with that. I've kept that in the back of my mind. And it's helped craft and, and um, sculpt, if you will, the message that I've got to consumers. To consumers, the message is, what are you aiming for? Let's talk about what you want. Let's talk about what you want in a house. Let's talk about what the process looks like for you to sell your home. Let's figure out where the fear is and let's address it. Let's hit it head on and show you really have nothing to be afraid of here. You've got a professional sitting in front of you. We can handle these landmines. Are we going to run across a couple of speed bumps? You know what? We might. But most importantly, I'm going to show you how to smooth out these speed bumps when we hit them. And so that was, I think the biggest thing that I took out of, of my experience with professional one was let's make sure that the brand, as it relates to the agent, the agent's brand, that is, is what is drawing the business in as opposed to the franchise brand that the agent is underneath. Let's talk about conflict, not getting into details. <laughs> I think this is an important lesson to learn. I've learned how to handle conflict sure. much better. What are some of the things you've learned? Because there's obviously been some difficult times, some sure. things that shit goes wrong, right? Yeah. All the time. Yep. 
A lot of it's your fault. A lot of it isn't, but you're responsible right. for it all. Oh, yeah. Right? Still a part of it. Yep. Difficult process getting to where you're at. How have you learned how to handle conflict? Um, I don't know that I run from conflict. Um, I like to think that I address it head on. And I may not be the most objective person to say that about myself. So that's why I'm couching it the way I am. Well, you're the only one here. It's okay. Well, I understand that. But yeah. it's my opinion. And I, my opinion is biased when it comes to myself. Go figure. It may not be the 100% reality if you will, the scenario, I like to think that I address stuff head on. So when there's conflict, like (laughs) negotiating out a purchase agreement, you know what? It does nothing to dance around the issue. It does everything to hit it head on. So if there's a concern or a a problem within the negotiations that pop up, or you get the inspection back on a a, a purchaser's uh, uh, inspection of a property, and there are some issues on there, it doesn't do anybody any good to not address them. These are things that need to be brought up, number one, with your purchaser first to walk through and say, hey, how, how, do you, how would you like this to be remedied? And then number two, you, you have to take that to the other side, obviously, and walk through that. It does nothing to walk away from it. So kind of scaling back on that micro level to the macro, I like to think that I'm, I'm pretty proactive so that when there's conflict, I'm stepping into it. It's going to be painful, but I also know that ripping the Band-Aid off while it's painful is a shorter amount of pain yeah. than slowly pulling it back. So I'm, I'm not a fan of holding stuff in. I'm not a fan of the backbiting. I'm not a fan of the backstabbing. Let's put it on the table. Let's hash it out. And you know what? If the relationship is strong enough, it will make the relationship stronger that we've hit the conflict head on. If the relationship isn't strong and we hit it head on, we've gotten to know a lot faster. And that's not a bad thing. No, you're wasting a lot less time. I do notice, and that's why I wanted to ask, um, I think people who get deals closed are better at it, right? Mm-hmm. That many agents and investors, I might add, the negotiation process is hostile. There's no reason for it. I've never understood that. Um, sometimes not just hostile, but like yeah. downright hostile. Yep. It's not that there's something wrong. It's you deceive me and you're a liar and a thief. Right. And then they still want to do a deal with you. I've always wondered like, oh, so that's how you're going to approach me. You yeah. lying thief. I need a price reduction. And like, well, and then the, and then the flip side is you want me to do something like that? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and then the flip side isn't necessarily that you're lying. It's like, wait, you're questioning what I just told you. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. I, again, this goes back to the raise the bar discussion. A lot of the issues that I will argue, and this is my opinion, I'm stating it. Um, my opinion is that a lot of the issues that we run into, not just in life, but within real estate is because of ego, because of pride. Oh yeah. Because I'm not willing to allow somebody to criticize me. You made the comment earlier in in a political discussion about, uh, we have a very hard time dissociating ideas from our, our yes, yes, uh, yes, that's exactly what's going on. So, you know, I, I love I love where I'm at right now, specifically today. I've got a couple of uh, transactions that are under contract, a few contract uh, deals that are under contract. And every one of the agents on the other side, they're great. You know what? We've got homes. Homes have issues when you get through the inspections. And the agent on the other side is not browbeating me, is not attempting to browbeat me. We are having I like to call it a conversation and these agents get that they get that this is a conversation on making sure that the puzzle pieces come together correctly for our clients because they may want, they may be representing the buyer or the seller. They want to do what's best for their client. And guess what? I want to do what's best for my client as well. 
I don't walk into a transaction saying I'm going to screw over the other side of the transaction, be it the agent or, or the other uh, uh, client. It, it doesn't do me any good. At the end of the day, what's best for my client? What's best for my client on the selling case is to get them to the table as quickly as possible for as much money as possible with as little inconvenience as possible. There's ways to do that. And if the agent on the other side has a similar mindset for their client, guess what? We're going to get on like a, like a dream. How do you deal with a, a hostile negotiation? Because you got to disarm that yeah. somehow, right? Like, well, just looking for some tips here. Yeah, yeah I, it was this will for- be my future so, soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, how am I going to do this? I'm good with the other. <laughs> Come into my room. The couch is free. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how do I? Uh, yeah. I, I can imagine. I can only imagine. Even it, even where you're currently at, where you're a lot happier. Just the stuff that comes across your, your table. I can only imagine what it looks like. So how, how do you deal with this? So it, it, there, there's a point at which at least I assess, okay, how much is it worth for me to fight back? Does it help my consumer at the end of the day? Does it help my client at the end of the day to fight back? And if the, the other agent's personality is such that it's not going to change, all right, I'll suck it up and I'll deal with it. Um, I, I recently had a transaction where – um, I'm 40 years old. I'm going to be 41 here in a couple of months. And I was called honey, sweetheart, child. And we don't live in the deep South. We live oh, in Jesus. fucking Michigan. Yeah. And oh my God. this person is just a few years older than I am calling me these things. Yeah. And I'm losing my mind yeah. internally here. Pretty this. patronizing. <laughs> Extremely patronizing. And they're calling my clients kids. Okay. I'm sorry. We're, we're buying a dang near $500,000 house and you're calling my clients kids. Yeah. Um, this isn't patronizing. This is a power trip. And so there's lots of that. Well, God, yeah, and, and, and using that specific example, yeah. I really didn't like it. It really abraded me. Oh yeah. That's rubbing me the wrong way too. But you know what? It was nothing. My clients would never learn about that unless I said something. Would it benefit my clients to raise a fuss and raise a stink about how this agent's treating me? No, so it you're like a, help. you act like a buffer as well, right? I yeah, I think we kind of have to. I, well, yeah, and if we, you told them, they might be less likely to agree to something too that would be in their best interest because yep, most people yep have ego, right? And well, and th- this is where I go back to the idea that we're you're never going to get rid of real estate agents because that right there where the rubber meets the road, that's where agents should be honing their craft and and working to become their best because right there is where. If you can assess what your client's needs are and the other side has the ability for your client's needs to be met, guess what? You can act as that buffer, as you described, and show your clients this is the way to go. This fits everything that you've told me that you want. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So why why bring that back to my clients? I'm so gonna, I'm going to jump forward. You yep. ever, after you close the deal, because I don't do this, but I've thought about it. I've thought about it so many times. This morning. After you close the deal... Do you ever go back and be like, you know, you might want like, is there a survey or something like <laughs> on a scale of 10, like uh, negotiation, perhaps <laughs> hostility and patronizing uh, vocabulary is not the best way to accomplish a deal. I only imagine this kind of person would not accept uh, self-criticism well, but is there, I don't know, is there any feedback mechanism for that or? Very, 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 very rarely is there feedback on something like that. Um a couple of the brokerages I've been at have had internal uh, surveys so that once we close, the broker that I work for wants to know, what do you think of the agent that you closed with? Is this somebody potentially that we should consider recruiting? 
Uh, so I. What a great question. I, it is. Yeah, that's a good question. It is. Yeah, uh, I didn't I, even think about it. I don't know that I filled many of those out in the positive. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's indicative. Yeah. Um, so no, there isn't uh, feedback. I mean, if if this had risen to the level, if this particular circumstance had risen, risen to the level of, um, you know, misogyny or sexism or something along those lines, then my my first call is going to be to that person's broker. But it didn't. It was simply a power trip aimed at putting me in my place. Good luck with that. Yeah. Do you know your place, Todd? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. It's at the closing table. Boom. <laughs> I can't drop this mic. Dang it. That's my place. Pick up my bag on the way out. I imagine that's difficult to deal with sometimes, though. Um, there is a lot. Of, I think there's more of that actually in the investor. Maybe not. I will let you know in a year. By the way, <laughs> I, I don't really know. I just realized. Wait a second. I'm talking from my ass right now because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to too many times on that side. You know, in right? about a year, we're gonna flip the scales yeah, here. I'm like, gonna be oh, interviewing you. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> uh, there, there is a ton of power. It happens with buyers mm-hmm. all the time. It happens with sellers too. No time less and blah blah blah. I'm like, okay. Yep. That's not how well I used to be I wasn't that bad about it, but I was that forceful in negotiation. Sure. Speaking of which, yeah. Do you have a negotiation practice or style? I'm just curious about that because you're handling like yeah. egos on both sides. Yeah. Sometimes power trips, sometimes yep. not. I'm sure more ignorance than anything else, right? Right. Or alarmism, fear. Yep. I saw the news last night, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I so um, it's, I hope it's coming through in the podcast. I'm I'm kind of a a, a pragmatist, you know. It's what's going to work, what makes sense. Uh, if my clients as sellers come to me and say, "This is what we're aiming for," and my analysis shows that what they want out of the house is possible, then here's the road path. Here's how we're going to make this happen. Um, so I, I think there's two different approaches uh, right now in the seller's market that I'm operating in. Um, working with sellers is an absolute riot um, because you've got what all the buyers want. Yeah. And so if you're able to put a quality product on the market, market it very well, um, and you've got the right price, you're not going to have a problem selling. And you could be picky too. Well, geez. Yeah. I can dictate on behalf of my sellers what we're doing. I mean, the, the short of it is I like for my sellers to be in a position to hold all the cards. And so that when we've got multiple offers on the table, because we've organized our marketing in such a way that that happens, I can sit across the table from my clients and say, which one of these five offers would you like to roll with? I've, I've analyzed all of them, and here are the nets off of each and one of them. We can go through the details, but at the end of the day, we'll all get to the table at this point in time, and, and here's what your nets would be on this one, on that one, on the other one. And so I, there's no negotiation, for the most part, right now on the selling side, because it is what it is. And the market is dictating. I'm allowing what I try to do for the sellers is allow the market to dictate the price and the negotiation right out of the gate. So I'm marketing my client's property as best I can, getting in stupid exposure all over the place and getting a bunch of people through the home within a very short period of time and generating multiple offers. About 90% of the time that's been happening in the last four years. On the buying side, the reality with the buyers is you're one of like six people that will probably write on this house. So heads up, this is not going to be fun. We're going to have to be quick. We're going to have to be very sharp on our offer. Um, and so on that side, because of what I do on the listing side, I know how to bob and weave on the purchasing side. So I know some of the tricks that agents may try to play as a listing agent. And I'm 
in some cases able to avoid that for my, my, my clients on the buy side. So when you ask about a negotiating strategy, it, it depends on what's the goal. Obviously, if I'm working with a buyer or seller, but what's the goal? What are we aiming for? And, and is there a number underneath which we need to stay? If so, then before we even get there, here's that results in advance thing. Before we even get to the point where we're writing an offer, we need to make sure that we're writing offers on homes that you, number one, want, number two, can afford. So that when we get to the process of negotiation, most of the negotiations are already kind of squared away because we've eliminated a lot of the contentious stuff. Most of the contentious stuff right now in purchase agreements is coming through on the inspections. That's it. So you kind of inoculate your buyers and sellers ahead of time. So Try kind of like getting a vaccine, like, hey, look, this this yeah. could be a problem. This could be a problem. Mm-hmm. I want you to be prepared for this. Yep. That way, I think there's a lot to be said, too, because a lot of people don't like the unexpected. Yep. Whereas Not if they can expect it, it takes a lot of the sting right. out of it. And I do see that there's a lot of real estate agents that they don't do anything like that. So when they get back an inspection report and it says, I want $5,000 off because of yeah. X. Right. The people start crying. Never, I would never. And they're just not prepared for the process where if they were inoculated beforehand or knew what to expect. Yep. Okay. Yep. How do you handle that when the agent on the other side hasn't done anything like that? Just Uh, just curious. My my client hears that this is going to be interesting. (laughs) 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 And just say up front, you know what? This is the work that we've done. We've prepared for this process. Here's where we are. And we know it's a crapshoot on the other side of the aisle, on the other side of the table. That's fine. And again, it, it shouldn't become my client's concern. It's my problem to deal with at that point in time, unless it materially interrupts or interferes with my client's goals. So uh, directly to that question, number one, I, I try not to ever allow it to influence or impact my, my consumer. I like to think that we're on the same team and that I'm kind of, I want to say like the quarterback taking the hits, if you will, for my clients at that point in time. So you just deal with it. Inoculate and buffer. Bingo. Good advice. See if I can do that. This this will be interesting. So really, this is Jeremy, real estate agent 101, isn't it? Oh, dude. (laughs) There's so many secrets behind this podcast. How could I pick everybody's brain? Yeah. (laughs) I don't have the money to pay them. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll give them exposure. Yeah. How can I get more leads? I know what I'll do. Yeah. No, I can help people out. Yeah, there's lots of that. I could do this all day. Like every episode, I reveal a little bit more about why why I'm doing it. Nice. We have multiple reasons. And yeah, this is one of them is I want to be more successful. I want to do these things. Why not ask? I got the opportunity to do it and I can add a little value. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. Bongo. None of these thoughts are my own or original, but I can be taught, folks. <laughs> you know, Sometimes the hard I, way. I've got a degree around here somewhere. For yeah, <laughs> I got the, I got my ass whoop degree, and <laughs> I picked up my teeth off the floor. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, that stung. So, so you, when you left professional one, mm-hmm. there was a there was a gap. Or was there? I can't remember exactly. Or did you go right to? No, there was no gap from uh, from professional one over to Prudential. It was instantaneous. I All just, right, so I, that's right because you went to Prudential knowing it was going to become Berkshire correct. Hathaway. Correct. That's right. Correct. Sorry, yep. I forgot. No, that's yeah. no, all good. Yeah. No, uh, my broker Sharon Snyder at uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, Home Services, Snyder and Company. She had done a decent job. She recognized that I don't like the hard sell. So I'd had a few brokers approach me and try to arm twist me into flipping and going back to their place in Ann Arbor. And, and those were age, those were brokers that just didn't understand who I was and, and necessarily how I operated. Sharon did um, the perfect thing for me, which was, hey, I want to pick your brain about the real estate market. I learned from my, my agents that you do X, Y, and Z, and that really fits what we're doing here as a corporate culture and blah, blah, blah. 
how about some drinks and appetizers? Okay, in the back of my mind, I knew exactly what she was doing. Hell but yeah. Like, yeah. But it works. I can do that. It, it works. works. Dude, it works when my wife does it to me. <laughs> it works when you... It just works. It does. It yeah, does. it's effective, mm-hmm. and it take it does take a lot of the the pressure off too. I think it's it, like it's kind of hey. like the the I don't want to call it the back door close. It's not the way right to put it, but it's it's as you're walking out the door, you're just kind of closing on the person. Yeah, like oh yeah, that works. <laughs> well done. <laughs> what has that been like? I know you're a Oof. fan yes. of Berkshire Hathaway branding, and yep. obviously you changed your mind a little bit at least that. Yeah. The brand of the company could actually help the brand of the agent. Well, right? and it had to be an exceptional brand. So there's the there's the caveat to that statement. So um, I didn't think – I had to be convinced. Let's put it that way. I had to be convinced that the strong brand would do something. In my particular circumstance, Berkshire Hathaway name did. So that's it, actually added, added dollars to the bottom line. That's not to say that the training and the, the fun stuff that they've got on the backside for agents, the, the, the dashboards and whatnot, that those aren't helpful. I'm simply addressing the name. The name Berkshire Hathaway actually has put dollars on my bottom line. I've never seen a brand do that before. I didn't anticipate it. I just knew personally that the brand resonated with who I was as an agent and how I wanted to be perceived through my branding by the consumers. So that was the resonance factor for me right there. The fact that it actually did what I didn't anticipate it doing was just icing on the cake. That was awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of BHHS. I like, I like what they've got. Uh, it has more to do with the name than anything else. The training and the systems that they've got set up are pretty darn good uh, for a national, now soon to be international franchise. Um, and one of the things that happened early on, uh, we were the first Berkshire Hathaway franchise in the state of Michigan, only by about 24 hours, but we were the first, so we got to plant that flag. Um, went to first is first first is first if it was four minutes you're still first right if you're second you're last people win gold medals on thousands of a second so 24 <laughs> hours that's 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 a, a commanding lead i would say <laughs> at least that's how i would sell it yeah. i whooped your ass it was a commanding lead 24 whole hours behind <laughs> so it, yeah it, i like what they've got um and to toot my own horn just a little bit um Went to the Prudential uh, convention the first year I was there. Then they flipped the branding of the convention to Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, some of the communications people, the corporate communications people, asked me to begin to write for the Rethink report that Berkshire Hathaway has out there. I was really honored by that to, to say, hey, we recognize that they actually have your head screwed on straight. You can actually articulate yourself. Let's talk about things real estate and share that, not just with our network of people, but with the world through our network. Oh, okay. I'm kind of honored by that. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, that is neat. Yeah. How long have you been there now? Uh, it was November 2012. So coming up on four, well, three and a half years right now. Three and a half years, man. It hasn't been that long. At man, like you said. It doesn't flies. feel like it, but it has, right? It has. Time it does has. fly. It does. Yeah. Well, let's pause and let's go get coffee. And I like then I want to come back because yeah. I want to talk about the content you produce, use of social media, any sort of sales funnels, mm-hmm. that kind of thing that you feel comfortable sharing sure. because I think that's all important stuff. So yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick pause. You won't even notice we're gone, folks. Bye-bye. How do you like that? <laughs> All right, that's how fast we were. We're back. You didn't even notice we're gone. We're reloaded so, on God's coffee. And- I've had a pot of coffee, and I'm going to talk really fast now, and this is how I'm going to go for the rest of the Oh, sorry. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about is how you use social media, what your strategies are. And we talked about a little bit when we're refilling coffee. Well, let's be very clear about it. Social media is just a fad, just like the internet. So <laughs> <laughs> I know all those people are like, Oh, it's just going to go away. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> My space went away, but my what? Um, yeah. 
That's uh, I bet whoever bought it. didn't Justin buy that? Like, oops, <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't have. Eh, you know. Oh well, Diversifying. we were talking about a little bit too that you have an approach for the mm-hmm. medium as sure. well, but I see mostly push. Right? Uh, yeah, on social media. When I say push people, I'm just saying like just treating it like it's a billboard. Right. Yep. Right. So if you're wondering these marketing terms and all this shit I'm doing, basically <laughs> using social media in the way that TV or billboards or radio yep. or flyers were used previously to social media. So, but yep. that's not your approach to it. I, it. I tends not to be. That's true. I'm guilty of it in some instances, but um, for the most part, I, I like engagement. Um, so I, I liken, I liken social media to, um, Social media used poorly is like going to a chamber of commerce mixer, walking into the room where everyone's got a drink or an appetizer in their hand and very loudly screaming, my name is Todd Waller and I'm going to sell real estate. Come talk with me. That is a great example. I think that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you and I both know that when you go into a chamber of commerce meeting, uh, network meeting. And you walk in there and somebody comes up to you and engages you in a conversation and is actively interested in who you are and what you're involved in. You end up talking with that person and you end up remembering who they are. Most likely you'll end up taking their card or even asking them for a card. There's the pro move. Um, and you you may actually turn around and, and reach out to them if you have a need within whatever industry they're a part of at that point. And so with that analogy out of the gate and on how I see it used poorly and, and how I think it could be used, that's how I see social media. Social media is nothing more than a reflection or an amplification of what it is that we already do, right? So Twitter right now is the great like giant billboard. We push our message out there for the most part. That's how it's used. Yes, there are some folks that are using it for conversation and driving traffic across their websites and jazz like that. But I know my specific Twitter stream has become all uh, just kind of shouting into the ether, which is kind of sad. So it's kind of fun to circle back there every now and again and consider how can this how can this medium be transformed again? How can I bring it back to how I used it before? Um, so um, Facebook specifically for me has become my go to spot. I love hanging out on the book of faces and seeing what other people are involved in. And again, my attitude is this is nothing more than a reflection of, or an amplification of the group of people that I'm connected to understand. I don't necessarily say I'm not going to follow this person or I'm not going to follow that person uh, based on what they believe or, or what they do. Um, I'm happy to interact with everybody. You start acting stupid and I'll turn you off. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll mute you actually. Uh, but I like the conversation. I like the ability to have conversations or at least see what people are thinking. And next time I bump into them in person, pick up that conversation. So, so for me, social media is a way of starting a conversation or continuing a conversation, depending on where I've met the person or if I've met them at that point in time. So years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Inman Connect San Francisco for the first time, and that was a riot. Many of the agents that I'd built online relationships with were at Inman Connect. I'd never met these people in person, but I'd interacted with them for countless hours online over real estate topics, which is generally goofing around. Every person I bumped into that was somebody that I wanted to meet from my online experience, there was no handshake. There was an immediate hug. We had known each other on a level that I don't think was capable prior to social media 
without, you know, heavy duty writing or phone calling or something along those lines. So it was really intriguing to me to have that experience, meet people that you've known for three, four years online and meet them in person for the first time. And it's not a handshake. It's a hug. And it didn't feel awkward. It was natural. It's like meeting your pen pal yeah. from back in the day. Yeah. Only better because you know you have pictures, you know what their family looks like, their dog looks like, exactly. what they like. And what instantaneously they hate. in some yeah. instances, right? So um, so the use of social media for me is uh, conversational in tone. I love having the conversation specifically on, on Facebook. Um, I love using Instagram as well. I'm not, I haven't used it as much in the not too distant past here, just out of busyness, but um, I inherited my father's photographic eye. So I've got the ability to snap some pretty decent photos and share those out via Instagram. So I like sharing stuff out there, but I also like, you know, scrolling through that feed as well and, and seeing what's going on there. Um, for me, Instagram isn't so much communication, uh, um, conversation, but it's more a visual communication. I've got this image of this beautiful landscape, or I've got this image of, you know, this wonderful sunset on vacation or something like that. It's a way to convey that I'm a human. (laughs) These are the things that I'm involved in things that I like. So that's at least how I stare at Instagram as well. I think, um, I think what people like about Instagram too, is there's, uh, not too many words, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, Yep. We are living in the age yep. of pictures and video. I well, would say pictures over video still. Still, yeah. I don't know if that will ever change. I, I doubt it. The picture's here. The picture's going to stay. Yep. Why would you not want to be in a picture-dominated society on it? Um, yep. What is your Instagram? Do you have an Instagram strategy? Because <laughs> I don't. I have just a take pictures and post it on Instagram strategy. That's not a strategy. I think it's just no. I and and to be clear, there there is no strategy for me when it comes to Instagram. It is it's a creative outlet for me more so than anything else. I see stuff, I snap it with my phone, I then modify it a little bit and then share it out, and that's that's a lot of fun for me. I guess if there is a strategy, it's trying to focus more on the key areas that I want to work within. So there's a lot of stuff from Ipsy and Ann Arbor uh, in my Instagram feed. And and you know what? If, you, if you're tagging this stuff correctly, if you're geolocating it correctly, you're making uh, shop owners really happy that you're exposing their place in most circumstances. <laughs> That's kind of how I use it, too. Like if I want always brewing Detroit or Paul, my barber who's ancient and has been cutting hair for like 58 years in the same spot or some small business. I didn't think about that way, but I do do that. So, so Instagram for him is like him calling his grandmother on the phone and he instantly he still has a flip phone. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, he literally just has a flip phone. He has no idea. He humors me every time I do it. Oh, you want to get it? Okay. He's a French Canadian. He still has terrible, (laughs) thick accent. I can't even do it right. Uh, He's been cutting hair there forever. He he wonders what I'm doing for Facebook. Yeah. Obviously I pay more attention to Facebook because I love the book of faces as you call it. I think it's hilarious way to call it. Um, Can you give me an example? Because I'm just hoping I want to know. I'm hoping maybe other people will want to know of what you do and how you do it and how it would be different than what most do. So um, I have the advantage, the distinct advantage of being in being an early adopter. So I'm in some of the social media spaces well before a lot of other folks got there. Number one, you are an early adopter to all of it. Because I'm going to ask you Pretty some much. Snapchat questions. Tell me to figure this shit out. I, <laughs> I still can't figure it out. I haven't Snapchatted since I Snapchat with you like 
six or seven weeks ago, however long that was. I was like, what is this newfangled? What is this? I'm just angry at it. I'm going to yell at it. <laughs> Sounds like me the first couple of times. Yeah. Too. So that, that's coming, by the way. But no, let's start with Facebook, where start, I think most people are already are yeah. feel comfortable, including myself. I, I, by having an early adopter stance, uh, I was able to get into the space, kind of feel it out, and kind of get a, a better feel for how things rhyme and roll. But because I've been there for so long, as people come in, there's a there's almost an established feel about being there that period of time. You already know how things operate. Um, so by way of example, again, going back to the amount of repeat and referral business that I've got, a fair amount of it right now is uh, our folks that I've known online for years off of Twitter and off of Facebook. This will be like the like one client that I've got under contract right now. Um, I've known him online for seven, eight years. And we've bumped into each other at different events around the area, and we've talked real estate periodically. But a couple months ago, out of the blue, he says, it's time. My wife and I need to go buy a place, and you're the guy. I about fell out of my chair when I saw that. I really appreciated that. But that's not uncommon for me. And part of the reason it's not uncommon is because I've been there for so long, and I've had an established history of, I think, number one, not being an idiot online. Number two, not being the flat-out push salesman that's always talking real estate and is always trying to get people to buy and always trying to get people to sell. I like to think that my involvement on Facebook on my personal uh, profile is pretty varied. I think it shows that I'm a human being that's got passions. There are things I like. There are things that I don't like. And, oh, by the way, yeah, I also sell real estate because you'll see some of my marketing pieces go blowing through there as well. Um, So when it comes to the personal profile on Facebook, again, my attitude is social media is an amplification or a window of who we are actually. Anyway, it's just an online personification of that. So that's what I think my Facebook timeline reveals about me. This is who I am. This is my family. These are the things I'm interested in. My Facebook page is a different breed all entirely. Uh, it's a business page. So guess what we talk about there? Uh, business. Business. Real estate. Yeah. Shocking. Um, you know, and, and Facebook has done a, a pretty decent job. They've tried to uh, make it very clear that your personal profile is only for you as a person. They really don't want you running your business off your personal profile. So create yourself a business page. And talk about business on your business page. And then when it's germane, share stuff off of your Facebook uh, pay, uh, business page onto your personal profile. Again, don't, you know, uh, don't, don't swamp the stream <laughs> with a bunch of shares off of your business page. But this is what you're connected with. So if you're in copier sales, for example, you've got a business page for copier sales and you're talking about the latest and greatest multifunctional uh, copy machine that's come on out. If you think that's something that is so earth shattering, share it from your business page on your personal profile, but on your personal profile, talk about exactly why you as a person think it's so earth shattering. Just a small example there for utilizing a business page and your, your personal profile. Also just get started, right? It sounds like play the long game, right? True. Right. Get in. Hopefully, you're going to be alive anyway. Yeah. So why not get the business by playing the long game? So you know what's horrifying is yeah. Facebook has what is the last year or two came out with your uh, this day in history on your Facebook profile. Oh yeah. It is nothing horrifying. like being embarrassed by how dumb I was. Oh my Five gosh. years ago, I woke up this morning. Right. Like, oh, I hope I'm not that stupid anymore. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I, I cringe every time something from like six, eight years ago pops up and it's like, yep, going out to show homes today. I'm like, oh, wow. I really said that. I'm an idiot. Yeah. And that makes me stop because I see new agents getting into Facebook and doing the same thing. And it's like, okay, I could chastise them for that. 
But what I really should be doing is saying privately to them, dude, seriously, I did this way back when. It really isn't a good way to go. Look at what's happening right now. So I've been there. I've made those mistakes. Please don't do that because <laughs> it's not going to help you. You need to get At least if you along. like them, right? Otherwise. Well. well, if I don't like them, then we just troll them hard so they continue to do it more. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. What are, I know there are some, what are the definitely do nots? of uh, the Todd Waller Facebook philosophy strategy. What, are there any do oh, not? Geez. So here's the funny thing. Yeah. People tell you in general, in, 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 um, in, in uh, what is it? Uh, mixed company. There are two things you're never supposed to talk about in mixed company, politics and religion. And yet I love talking about politics and religion, not just face to face. What else is there to talk about? <laughs> not just face to face. I mean, I don't, when people say that, I'm like, okay, how's the weather? Yeah. <laughs> What the fuck are we going to talk about? Well, Johnny, let's step outside and take a look. Yeah. Oh, look, it's going sideways out there. Uh, That TV was good yesterday or something. Yeah, it's life. So so that's funny you asked that question, Jeremy, because I don't know that I've got a hard and fast rule. Again, it comes from how do I – who do I view myself to be? How do I hold myself in face-to-face, belly-to-belly conversations? That's what I want online. I want the experience from online to offline to be contiguous. I don't want someone to meet me and go, the hell is this guy? This is not who I met over here or who I saw online. I want that to be a very similar experience from online to offline. I really, I don't like the the disconnect. I, I think that um, for me, it's, it's a character thing. I, I want my uh, persona to be consistent from location to location to location. I don't ever want groups of friends to get together and then ask each other, well, he was like this over here, but you're saying he's like that over there. I think the same thing holds true when it comes to the online realm as well. It's just another location for the persona to exist. That's an excellent point. And I do love how the internet is ruining that for those kind of people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm a chameleon. No, you're not. I got this here video. You're a troll. You are. (laughs) And uh, it says right here. So you wanted to be as consistent and as seamless as possible. Correct. Who you are in real life. You're trying to represent that online in Facebook. And and so that to, to your initial question of what are the hard and fast rules of do and don't, there isn't one necessarily. It's just, who am I? And that's what I'm going to try to do online as well. So I made the comments about politics and religion. Um, that's a really tough, those are really tough concepts and, and conversations to have online because you lose what 80% of the communication. Cause you don't have body language to key off. Of. I would say almost like all of it. In yeah, my pretty experience. Much, yeah. yeah. You lose all of it. You lose a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that, that's part of the, again, the conversation back that we had uh, earlier of people having a very difficult time disconnecting their identity from their ideas. My ideas are ideas. They may be right. They may be wrong, but this is what I believe right now. And these are the reasons why I believe these things. Does it mean that my ideas may be up for change? Yeah, possibly, because I may not have all the facts in front of me. And so with that stance in the online space, that's fine. I'm happy to have these conversations. I'm happy to get into the rip-roaring, knock-down, drag-out brawls. They're more fun to watch than participate in, but it's also not something that, if it's worth my time, that I wouldn't shy away from. I, it's something that I would get involved in if I thought it was that important. So there's no hard and fast, do this, don't do that, that I have. Whoever you are, that's what I would say you should be online as well. You should do everything you can to present yourself online the same way that you present offline. Yeah, that's good advice. What I'm trying to do is I temper myself because <laughs> I want to be the best version of Jeremy I can be. Bingo. And I'm not always that person online. <laughs> but guess what? I'm not always I'm not always that person in life either. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So 
I try and pick one thing, which is currently the cesspool of the Middle East. Yeah. Um, I got I to gotta stick on, on that one. I let everything else go for the most part. Gotcha. But, but that one, I just, I just can't let it go. Hmm. Um, has your perspective on Facebook changed over time, or has it been pretty consistent the whole time? What do you mean by perspective? That's a good question. Uh, I decent question. perspective. Uh-huh. Um, strategy. Uh, let's say use. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, it has. Use. Yeah, okay. definitely. So um, you had mentioned earlier, uh, right at the break, through the break, and as we came out of the break, um, creating uh, lead generation opportunities, uh, Facebook funnels, in other words. And this is one thing that has plagued me for a while. So there was a period of time where I was working with a, a group of folks, a team in, at Real Estate One, where we were generating a lot of online leads through Google uh, pay-per-click. Um, and it was good. We had a great year in 2008. While everyone else was sucking wind, our little team was just kicking butt. It was beautiful, actually. Um, and that was... Um, that was like the high point. I saw it. we can generate leads seemingly out of thin air. Huh. Facebook takes off. And I mean, takes off in a big way. And you've got the ability to advertise on a targeted fashion to individuals. I mean, let's face it. Facebook, uh, while it's entertainment for the masses, it is a huge database of demographics. Oh, yeah. I mean, we are telling Facebook with every action on there what it is we like, what we don't like, what's good, what's bad. It, it, we're defining our digital personalities through Facebook, and they're noticing. Yeah, the NSA is mad they didn't come up with this, right? <laughs> Darn near. I'm going to yeah. create a website. You can put everything about yourself online for free to share with the world. The and NSA we can just sell that information. The NSA just doesn't understand entertainment, I think, is the problem there. Is that <laughs> what it is? Yeah, you got to make it fun. Yeah, you, know, you just yeah. can't steal. You're going to like, look, it's a Put trade. the rubber hose down. Because that's exactly what it ended up being, right? Like, you just put everything yeah. up there. It's yep. amazing how quickly I adopted it, too. Yeah. Right? And and so to your question, yeah, it's shifted. So where I thought Facebook was a great place to continue the conversation and meet folks that potentially will turn into uh, business down the road, now I've finally kind of sort of gotten something where I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can target specific folks, and they are willing to give me their name, their email address, and their phone number. Like, oh, cool. And it's not to say that I'm I'm awesome because I figured this out without anybody teaching me. Admittedly, I've reverse engineered some of the things that other folks have done that I've seen across the country and gone, wow, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Let me see if I can execute that here. Um, and so through the use of a of, uh, Facebook uh, business page and targeted advertising uh, and about a – see, I initially started off with like a $20 a day uh, ad buy on Facebook um, have to this point in about – a month and a half generated about 300 leads directly off of Facebook. Damn. And they are, well, they're targeted um, and they're high in the marketing cycle. So they're not like going to buy right now. They are in the, you know, three, six months out down the road kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Got to plant some seeds for some future harvest. Right. And the retargeting, uh, buddy. Yeah. So let's talk about retargeting. I learned a little bit about this from Steve, but um, I'm not sure how much he actually, use it every day, sure. but re, so explain retargeting and how you use sure. it. So let's start with targeting. I know what my audience is. I told Facebook, this is the audience. So I designed the parameters. I may have, uh, you know, homeowners within a 15 mile radius of some city, uh, with X kind of income, uh, stated income. That could be the main target that I want my ads served to. Not every person that clicks on that ad is going to drop their information. That's fine. I don't necessarily want every one of them. I don't know what I'd do if everyone did, actually. That'd be a real big problem if they did, right? It'd be a great big problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> You'd figure out a way to deal <laughs> with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rapid expansion. Um, but when somebody does click, 
on that ad, they come to my website, which has my Facebook pixel installed on it. Well, Facebook is wonderful with that little pixel because it does a a couple of different things. Number one, it allows you to track how many people clicked on your ad and landed on your web page. Yay! If you have a registration page and you create the correct complete registration Facebook pixel, you can actually show, okay, X number of people came to the site, actually clicked through, and B, uh, these, this is the number of people that actually completed the, the registration. So you'd see that obviously in your email or your lead gen system there, but you can now begin to put together um, conversion ratios based on clicks, which is great. If you can analyze it, you can embed, you can make it better, right? You can optimize it. So uh, the retargeting, however, happens off that same Facebook pixel. You can turn around to Facebook and say, hey, using this Facebook pixel on my website, everybody that comes to this page or this entire website or this, this group of pages, I want you, Facebook, to remember. And every Facebook profile that clicks here and lands there, I want you to create a separate audience through this Facebook pixel. So I've got multiple uh, retargeting audiences as a result of that Facebook pixel. So now you've got this audience that they may or may not have signed up, doesn't matter, but you now have this audience of people that have clicked through your ad and landed on your website. That tells you right out of the gate, they had a fleeting interest in being entertained. Cause again, this is Facebook. They had a fleeting interest in being entertained in, in the realm of real estate. So now you can take that audience that Facebook is constantly building on your behalf. As long as you've got your Facebook pixel running and active, you can now target that specific audience with another message. That's so amazing. if my first message is, hey, learn about all the homes for sale in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you know my, my conversion ratio there is like 9% or whatever, that's like 91% that didn't convert, except a total 100% will be a part of that Facebook pixel audience that I'm now retargeting with, here are 10 tips on how to buy a house in Ann Arbor. So again, it's the results in advance concept. Yeah. You get them in the net. Don't let them leave if you can. Right. Bingo. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. amazing technology. We're trying. How many people do you think are using that? Uh, here or nationally? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good question, right? Let's say nationally, right? I'm trying this is a global podcast, right? I would, yeah, it technically is. That's right. I, I don't know what the numbers would be. I, I just know that on an individual agent by agent basis, I don't think the number's that high. Um, I know the lead gen companies that are out there are utilizing it. So if you're working with a lead generation company like Boomtown or Tiger Leads or you, whatever, I'm pretty confident they've got those analytics in place and those Facebook pixels in place. The key for you, the agent or you, the broker, is make sure it's your analytics that are sitting there. So if you're using Google, which has the same retargeting capability, or you're using Facebook, use those pixels, yeah. use those analytics so that you're not letting your traffic just kind of slip, uh, sit, uh, slip through your fingers. Because you have the ability to go back to the people who expressed an interest, at least by clicking, in real estate at that point in time. And if your targets are really narrowed down. Like if your ad message is how to, you know, learn how to list your home in Ann Arbor for the fewest dollars, guess what your retargeting should be along the lines of? It should be articles about how to list your house or why your marketing system as an agent is the best one to utilize. Something along those lines that appeals to that specific ad and that specific audience that you captured with that ad. How often do you market to that retargeted audience? Monthly, never stops. Just Yeah, it just keeps going. Yeah, so my retargeting... I, so I've got one budget for uh, my my mass targeting, if you will. So I'm where I'm trying to generate leads, and I, I want you know tracking my conversions and click through rates and all that fun jazz. My retarget is significantly smaller. My my daily budget is significantly smaller because it's number one a, a small population. Number one, but number two, I I don't need to hammer them 
in and and every time they come onto Facebook. So if a hundred people, for example, are in my my retargeting audience, if fifty of them in one day see an ad, yay, that's great, that's fine. At least the message is there. And at some point, when it's top of mind that real estate's the way they want to go, my advertising, my marketing will be right there in front of them. So if they've signed up, number one, they already see the quality that's coming out. Number two they're still a part of that audience that I'm retargeting. So they'll see consistent messages about buying and selling real estate within fill in the city. Um, yeah. So it, it's ongoing. It's like digital top of mind marketing, but mm-hmm. it's kind of pre-screened too, because your initial targeting kind of, exactly. you know, the, it is a net to an extent, but not on Facebook. It's more, right. you're getting lots of people, but it's more of a hook than a net. And then yeah. the retargeting is top of mind and yeah. they're closer to purchases. Yeah. Yep. Instead of just blanketing mm-hmm. with postcards yeah. or you do that too. Just look what's sold. Do you do any direct mail? Or? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll put a, put a new uh, property on the market and we'll hit the neighborhood. We'll throw out a just listed postcard. The whole zip code or uh, how targeted you get? It depends. Well, it'll be the neighborhood. Uh, so like uh, there's the a couple. Sub. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So okay. if the, like the subdivision in, in South Lyon where I live has, has a neat property that I'm putting on the market, we'll go ahead and, and throw out postcards to the entire neighborhood. Say, Hey, help choose your neighbor. You know, we've got, we've got this home that's coming on the market. Come on by the open houses on this particular day. Check it out. Yeah. Snapchat. Yeah. Any success with Snapchat? How do I use this? Let's thing? define success first. That's a good that's a good point. Uh, maybe let me back up here. Um, let's start with how do you use this thing? Or how are you using this thing, right? I'm still trying to figure it out. Honestly. Me too. Um, so this this is the curse of being the early adopters. You you jump on something, you stare at it and go, What exactly can I do with this? Now, I can tell you tinkering with Snapchat, I can see how to utilize it, I'd wonder if my idea would actually fly. So my thought process is this. Snapchat uh, messages only go for about 24 hours. And so what ends up happening is anybody who's following you only has 24 hours to see whatever the video or the photo is that, that you just dropped on the Snapchat. Um, so that means that you actually have to have followers that are engaged with your content. Oh, there's Snapchat. How do I shut it up? <laughs> do I just hit this? What do I do? If you want to send it to your story, hit the plus with the square. Okay. There, there it goes. you go. Nice. All right. So now everybody will see. So Jeremy, what's your, what's your handle on Snapchat? Um, Jeremy Burgess. Jeremy Burgess. So if you're on Snapchat or you want to tinker with it in the next 24 hours, well, who knows when this will get produced. You'll see Jeremy's uh, Snapchat video of me. That's a good question. Yeah. So, and you, what are you? You're at, at Todd Waller. At Todd Waller. Or, yeah. excuse me. No, the Todd Waller. The Todd Waller. I always try and get my name if I can. I, don't I do know if too. that's the best. Uh, yeah. Did some other Todd Waller get on here? I don't believe that there's another Todd Waller, but yes, apparently that happened. Man, we got so. probably some kid we got to go beat so, up. Well, if it, his- if it helps, the only reason I get the definitive is because of my wife. So that's why it's the Todd Waller. The Todd Waller. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Well, sometimes when I'm feeling uh, particularly full of myself, I do speak about myself in third person. Oh, Jeremy likes thanks, it. Thanks, Bob. Jeremy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy likes his coffee. He's great. <laughs> so the Todd Waller. Yeah. I like that. So so Snapchat's a tough one. Um, I One application that I can see for it that would be really slick is if you're able to build a uh, micro network for yourself. So in other words, if you've got a, a bunch of particularly tech forward or at least socially uh, social network forward clients, this would be one way for them to follow you for information about area real estate. That is if you're up on staying on top of area real estate. So the application that I could see is uh, say in my, my little farm area, I've got 
50 people that are utilizing Snapchat and they actually, they also happen to be following me. They know they're following a real estate agent. So therefore when they come on Snapchat, they're not shocked when Todd's doing a quick walkthrough of a property and talking about maybe this new coffee shop, or maybe I'm highlighting something that came up in an inspection. That's different. There's a, there's the ability to communicate on a very intimate level with a small tight group of folks. So it's almost like a micro network is how I could see that being utilized. Have I made it happen? No, no. Still trying to figure it out. Yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk is all up in Snapchat. And well, I, he's Gary. Yeah, I mean, he's got a blowtorch for for his his media, and you know, actually, that that leads into a question that I actually struggle with. Gary's really good at promoting what he does. That's awesome. That doesn't fit who I am. And so for me to go to that level of promotion or begin to approach that level of promotion just doesn't feel, it feels disingenuous to me. So that's the thing that I'm tripping over is, okay, how do I add people to things like Snapchat so that they see what I'm, I'm adding to the conversation? The one way to do it is exactly what Gary's doing is just pushing his message all over the place. But you are right. That is just Gary's personality. Too, exactly. Right. Exactly. And how, that's a good question. So you should adapt it. Because going back to original point, be as, you know, no, as little difference between the online Todd and the real life Todd. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, as possible. So, yeah, it would be disingenuous if you pushed like that. Yeah. So, So right now, to answer the question directly, Snapchat for me, I'm just goofing around with it. Yeah. Trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, I'm having fun with a few folks online, but, you know, we we already know each other. So, it's not a new conversation necessarily, it's a different medium. Yeah, I'm going to play around with a little bit. I'm, I am unsure. Uh, I don't know why it goes away, though. That doesn't make any sense to me. Can you think of any good reason why it would go away? But maybe it's because I like to save everything. So the parents can't get a hold of it? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Don't take naked pictures of yourself, too, by the way, you dumbasses. Uh, I I never have. Yeah. Don't worry about that. These people like, (laughs) it goes away. Screenshot. Come on. on the internet. Come on. Uh, Well, actually... Here I am chastising, right? I am so thankful that, that I got to be a dumbass teenager <laughs> before this. cell phone cameras and video because <laughs> that shit would haunt me forever. <laughs> I already know there are pictures out there, but it was at least it was disposable cameras and there's a chance that the film has been lost or it was never developed. I've right? been meaning to talk with you, Jeremy. Somebody reached out to me and said they've got this shoebox full of pictures of you. They were scanning. No. Oh, God. <laughs> Wow. Folks, yeah. if you could have seen yeah. his face right there. Yeah. Which ones? <laughs> I think his jaw actually rebounded yeah. off the floor. Well, if you can imagine, I won't, I won't get into what I've done, but let's just <laughs> say it's been interesting. And then you meet the love of your life and you're like, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to tell her eventually because you're going to run into people. And I still do. Mm-hmm. I still run into people I met from those. It's a small, small world. So I did tell her all Keeps that. smaller. But, there's a difference between hearing it and seeing it too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. picture generation. I know you told me, but I never wanted to see it. <laughs> oh God. Avert your eyes. <laughs> so what does your, um, overall is it comfortable? I don't want you giving any trade secrets or anything like that. Not Shh. that most, I mean, don't think it's the wrong way. People, most people aren't going to do anything with it. Um, I hope not. I hope you get out there and do something with it. And if you're not, you should, but what is your 2016, 15 funnel look like? Um, especially for your brand, right? Sure. sure. Your particular brand is high customer service. Mm -hmm. Um, you're unlikely to turn over 200 units in a year, right? Cause you're focusing intently on people. So keep that in mind when you're listening to this folks, that's, this is what he wants to do. He wants an intense customer service. Yep. It's intentional. Yeah, it's intentional. It's not an accident. (laughs) So um, 
2015 was an interesting year for me. So this is a little sidetracked off of, uh, of the actual question here, but, uh, 2015 saw my wife and I travel to West Africa a couple of times. Uh, my wife's op- operating room nurse at the university of Michigan, and she's involved in, uh, otology, uh, ear surgeries. So if anybody's over at the university of Michigan and they're having a cochlear implant, uh, put in, or they're having something done with their, their ears, a tympanoplasty or whatnot, uh, more than likely my wife will be the scrubbed in nurse handling that, that particular, uh, surgery. She is awesome sauce. And I am not messing around when I say that one of my nicknames is the Todd. And the reason I've got the definitive is because of my wife. She is that awesome. She was given the opportunity to travel to Ghana on a teaching collaboration through the University of Michigan with one of our surgeon, one of her surgeons at the U of M. And uh, so we traveled as a couple with this group to uh, Kumasi in central Ghana. Uh, so we had two trips uh, in the spring, one in the springtime and one in the fall time last year. So 2015 was very interrupted as far as my business uh, focus was concerned. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not decrying this. I'm not crying into my beer, although there's no beer here. Yeah. I'm not even crying into my not coffee. Yet. How's that? Um, 12.05 now. So. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so um, my eye got taken off the ball, so to speak. So the momentum that I had built up died because I was more focused on taking care of my wife and experiencing that part of life with her. Again, no complaints. It was awesome. I highly recommend it. Happy to chat in more detail about the whole thing. It's pretty cool. Great video, actually, of my wife as a nurse uh, with the University of Michigan. Uh, so 2015 was a very weird year. 14 was the best year I'd ever put together in the books. 15, I thought, was going to continue even with the travel that we had planned. That didn't come to fruition. And so it was not the greatest in the world. wasn't bad. 16, however, uh, has started with an absolute bang. Uh, and part of that's because the momentum that was built up after we came back in uh, November from our Ghanaian trip uh, just continued. Uh, so uh, I have to date about a quarter of my yearly average business currently under contract or closed. And this is the what? Fifth. Yeah. Sixth? We're like five weeks into this thing. Yeah. Right? Six, maybe it, I, it just, I'm blown away by that. I haven't seen this kind of momentum this early on in, in the, uh, the, the year. So I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. So when you ask what the funnel is, primary in my mind are my past clients, uh, my past clients, um, for whatever reason, they think I'm awesome and they send me business. I love them for it. Um, and in fact, one of my past clients has actually returned to me. He's probably responsible for, you know, 25, 30% of my yearly business because of the referrals that he sends me, but he's now back in the market himself looking for a place. Nothing like having a fan, huh? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Raving fan. At that. Yeah. Um, and loud. So that helps. Yeah. So I, I'm, the right term here is I am blessed with phenomenal clients that have bolstered me even in the lean times. It's been great to be able to help people and their family and their friends, whatever the scenario is. Uh, so we touched on it briefly. I was able to finally reverse engineer and create for myself a, a Facebook funnel. Um, that's why I say early on, I'm like, you know, two and a half, three months out from lead cultivation, if you will, turning into transactions. And the way my funnel is built, I'm targeting both, I'm targeting homeowners. So I've got both purchases and most likely sales coming up as a result of the folks that I'm interacting with through the lead funnel that I've created. So, um, the lead funnels are repeat and referral business. And that's just called nicely and lightly touching and staying in contact with folks, which is one of the reasons that I use uh, social media the way I do. A lot of my clients are there. And this is a great way for me to stay in touch, see what's going on in their lives, communicate with them, harass them, uh, cry with them, laugh with them, just know what's going on in their life. Um, 
And again, that's kind of who I am in person. So it makes sense that I'm doing that online as well. And then the other thing, which is new for me, is generating those leads off of Facebook. Um, so I'm still learning the bobs and weaves there. You know, I'm a little rusty from from before, but it's coming back. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the first six months of this year actually look like with that newly created lead funnel in there. I'm, I'm ridiculously optimistic about it, actually. Well, you brought up a good point, something I noticed I, I thought about before, but not quite in the same way. There is momentum to this. Mm-hmm. I've noticed where I was either I stopped or I was forced to stop, even for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, either planned or unplanned. Sure. It is kind of like pushing a car, you know, on the side of the road. <laughs> that initial push is very difficult. And yep. then you get it going. It's not so bad. But if right. you stop, yep. you kind of got to start all over again, depending on how long you, you let it stop. Yeah. So yeah. actually, let's bring that up. because yeah. I think there's a lot of people who think agents have to do a certain thing or have to live a certain lifestyle or whatever. You're married, <laughs> two kids with attaboy and that's my boy. That's my boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think is funny. Attaboy. And that's my boy. Just yeah. trying to protect their online identities yeah. for them. Well, I, I still <laughs> yeah. like the, uh, how you name them too. Even, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Even beyond that. So, um, you have limits yes. on your time and you have a mm-hmm. wife with a, Truly professional career, not just somebody who likes hey. to claim a professional <laughs> career. Right? I professionally flip McDonald's burger. No, like a professional career. I'm sure time constraints from time to time, oh, yeah. significant, right? So yep. Yep. you've kind of designed your life too and yeah. still found a modicum of success at least, right? right? So this is a conversation that goes to what's a work-life balance look like? Um, and I don't claim to have anything like that. I'm just yeah, no. your work life balance. No, and, yeah. and I'm not I'm not claiming otherwise. I understand what you're you're asking there. What I would say is to the folks listening, if someone tells you that you need to have and find a work life balance, um, I'm calling shenanigans on it because I don't believe that actually happens. You cannot tell me that when I'm on the phone negotiating out an inspection that I'm in balance with my family. And conversely, when I'm with my family, you can't tell me that I'm in balance with all of my clients' needs at that point in time. Why? Well, I, as an individual, try to do as best I can to be present in every situation that I'm in. So if I'm with my family, for example, I'm doing everything I can to be physically and mentally present with my family so that those memories are there so that we can collectively as a family have that time together and not be interrupted by everything. Please hear me. I don't think it's a bad thing to strive for balance. I just don't believe you'll ever find balance. So long as we're striving for it, we're putting things, I think, in the correct footing. We're understanding that when I'm with family, we are in the moment. We are in the moment with the family at that point in time. My family knows, for example, that when I'm with them or I'm at a gathering with the family and my phone rings and I have to pick up the phone, my family knows I'm doing everything I can to address my client, take care of them, but come back to the family as quickly as possible. So it's not neglecting my responsibilities on either side of that balance. It's also having the accommodation, if that's the right term, on either side of that that fulcrum to say, okay, we know Todd's with clients right now, so when he's done there, he'll be here, and we'll have all of him, not just part of him. And I think that's an important thing, at least for my family. It's very important for my family to know that, that I'm out there working as hard as I can on their behalf, but also when I'm with them, I am with them. I'm not somewhere else. I think a lot of people use their family as an excuse to suck. Yep. Right? Yep. And that's why I wanted to bring you. So you take your kids to school, you you yep. bring them home yeah. and somehow manage to get shit done in between. Right. Well, you know, it's the mobile office kind of thing. Yeah. I, so, and two on top of that, my boys are, um, <laughs> actually I got to tell the story. 
Because I love it. I think it's a great example of my sons and, and kind of the integration of my family life and my work life. So a few years back, I'm showing homes and um, showing homes to a pastor. And my boys were with me. So that's my boy and Adam, Attaboy. That's my boy is now uh, 11 years old. Attaboy is nine years old right now. And uh, then Attaboy is like seven, eight years old. We're standing in the middle of this foreclosure, the, the living room, and the pastor, Mr. Buyer, turns to Attaboy, excuse me, that's my boy, and says, so that's my boy. You think we should buy this house? And that's my boy without skipping a beat, barely took a breath, didn't look at me, looks right back at, at my, uh, my client and says, Mr. Pastor, I don't know that I can answer that question for you. I think that's a question that you and your wife need to answer because this is going to be the home that you live in. Boom. Oh my gosh. I needed to go find a microphone and just throw it down at that point. I'm recording you all the time now. <laughs> boy, boy. That's my boy. Not a boy. You got to wear this all the time. Oh. I don't know when you're going to say it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was one of those defining moments where I'm like, holy smokes, he got it. Wipe a little tear from your head. I was so proud. Yeah. I was blown away by that. And so what that taught me, and this goes to the, the idea of work and, and, and family life that taught me that my boys are listening. We know this instinctively. Those of us who are parents get it. Our kids watch us. They watch what we do. They listen intently to what we say and what we do when they start acting, when they start mirroring what it is that we do, that's the point where we as parents need to start paying attention to what they're doing. Well, it's like a mirror too, right? Mm. Yes, it is very much like a mirror. Yeah. So you don't like what you see. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, that struck me hard when, when my son did that, I'm like, okay, so something's going right here. So, um, when it comes to balancing everything, this is our particular life. My wife's schedule is pretty routine, except Cases can run long. So when she's in the operating room, it may be done by four o'clock in the afternoon or it may be done at, you know, 1130 at night. Yeah. It just depends it takes on the time the it case. takes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back and finish here tomorrow. <laughs> I got to be home at 430. Yeah. Not, her, not where it works at all. Her union doesn't like that, but yes. no, not exactly how it works. <laughs> so that, you know, my wife's got her days. I've got my days. And so I drive the guys into school. I drop them off and I go and I rock and roll. Well, this is part of the reason I've driven, if you will, in the direction that I have to go as mobile as possible in my office. You give me a coffee shop or any place with Wi-Fi, I can get my stuff done. I, I mean, heck, if I have to hotspot my phone to utilize my laptop, I will do that and we'll get stuff done in the middle of the field. It just wherever I can create my office, that's where I'm going to do that. So it's not so much that we built a life in this particular direction. It really kind of molded itself in this way. It, it was born out of necessity. We held certain things to be important. My wife and I, we held these things to be important for our sons and we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're meeting what we think our immediate obligations are to our boys to make sure that they're squared away. And you know what? Sometimes that means you have to sacrifice business. Sometimes that means you have to make the hard decision to not pick up the phone and answer what you know is going to be a, a hot lead. Sometimes when you're at the boy's birthday party, you have to be there Yeah, you and you have the to phone. show them yep. that they are more important than the greenback. And you know what? The fun conversations are starting to happen already. Again, 11 and nine, the guys are, they're bright. I know I'm biased, but they're bright and they're picking up on stuff like that. And every now and again, the boys are like, well, wait a minute. We thought you had an appointment today. Well, I did. I talked with my clients. They were all right with me spending more time with you guys. So we pushed off the appointment till here. And that causes my sons to stop and go, oh, I'm important. Thanks, dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so don't use your kids as excuses to suck, by the way, yeah. people. 
All right, there's enough of that going around. I just want to point that out for people. Every, well, you hear this a lot, right? Well, so-and-so has this life, so-and-so has yeah. that life, and they don't realize that, yeah, everybody has a life. Yeah, you know exactly right. Everybody has a life. Decide mm-hmm. what's important and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And don't make excuses for the life that you've chosen yeah. to build and live. Yeah. It's okay. It really is okay to have that life, Yeah, whatever it looks like. No reason not to yep. either, Just I would say. don't complain. <laughs> Nobody listens to you anyway. Amen. <laughs> Even I'll, I'll I'll get in on that. So this part I like to call like success or success routines. And this is my favorite part of every podcast I listen to. So I'm curious. I'm intensely curious to books you have found particularly helpful, mm-hmm. blogs, podcasts, movies, training, and or <laughs> like success habits yeah. or routines that yep. have been Useful to you. Sure, sure, sure. Um, whether or not they're useful to anybody else, that's fine. But I'm intensely curious Me. about what has been yep. useful to you. I, I'm just fascinated by this, too. So. I I, uh, I enjoy a lot of off-mainstream pop culture, if that makes sense, uh, things. So I love science fiction. I love weird science fiction. Science fiction that um, is difficult to access sometimes. Uh, it's just it's difficult to brain through it, so to speak. But I like it because it stretches the noggin. It stretches the thought process and makes you go, what if? I like I like that stance of what if. Um, so I don't know that there's so much a routine necessarily uh, of read this and I do that. Uh, it really is a wake up. Let's get the guys to school. Let's get to the office and write down what we got to get done for that particular day. Uh, and then at least how this mind works, this lexicon of stuff <laughs> that I carry around in my noggin is built up of a lot of science fiction, a lot of marketing materials. Uh, and when I say marketing materials, books on marketing. Um, I really wish I could remember the name of the author, but he did a book called Marketing Outrageously. And it's got this picture of a sumo wrestler slam dunking a basketball. I will, I will go find it and put it in the show notes. It's brilliant. Marketing Outrageously. Marketing okay. Outrageously. Um, and it's great. And, and, if we're going to talk about real estate and how to transact real estate in a um, an efficient fashion, we're going to, I think, stop talking about it as a sales. At its core, it is sales, right? We are selling and buying real estate. It makes sense. But really what we're doing is we're selling ourselves. We're selling our ability to analyze our experience, our expertise. So how do you market uh, experience and expertise? How do you do that? And so marketing materials like Marketing Outrageously make me go, oh, this is how I can attract somebody's eyeballs to show them this is this is beneficial to their needs and, and desires at this point in time. Yeah, you got to get, get attention in a busy world sometimes, in a noisy, yeah. busy world yeah. too, right? Yep, yep. There's plenty of going on. How do you how do you get that attention? And and then for me specifically, how do you maintain the integrity and character that you have as an individual brand? How do I convey that in a fashion that grabs somebody's attention and conveys you can trust this individual? So um, the other book that I just am about three-quarters of the way through, Tim Chermack, C-H-E-R-M-A-C-K or A-K, can't remember which, High Hanging Fruit is the name of it. Now, understand Tim, uh, is uh, he's got a whole real estate system out there for agents that he's trying to sell as well, but the book is really good. He gives some great knowledge bombs in there about – how to present yourself as an agent, how to move your process, if you will, higher up in the sales funnel and start going after the folks before they get to the bottom of the sales funnel. So that by the time they get to the bottom of the sales funnel, it's not a question in their mind of where they're going. You've already presented results in advance to show them this is where we need to go. This is the logical choice for us to make when it's time to buy or sell our particular property. Um, 
uh, I recently uh, was recommended to watch Lord of War, the Nicolas Cage. Oh God, I love that gun movie. running. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about sales and cynicism? Oh yeah, I restocked on mine. Yeah. <laughs> Full up, right? <laughs> Spoiler alert, especially at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Actually, I won't say, but let's just say if you haven't watched it, watch it at the yeah. end. Good and stuff. That, yeah. It's a great movie. It is. And I'm not a huge Nick fan, but yeah. he killed it in that one. He did. He, he did, did a great job. He was the perfect scumbag <laughs> for for that. And you, you end up rooting for the scumbag. It's one of those movies where you're like, oh. Oh, poor guy. The scumbag lost some money. <laughs> oh, his poor brother. You know, like. Wait a second. This guy is just terrible. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, but it, the reason I, I recommended or it was recommended to me was because it, it shows the stance of a salesperson. Um, whether or not you like it is an entirely separate question, but it does show, hey, when you're out there selling stuff, in this case, guns, um, you kind of got to be quick on your feet. You have to be able to put two and two together and magically come up with five sometimes because that's what the customer wants. Yeah. So, Again, for me, how do I take that and then transform it into the realm of a salesperson with character and integrity that I'm trying to project? How do I how do I do that? So I thought it was a great object lesson. The other movie that I would throw in there in the same category, um, I don't know many people who have bumped into it, but Thank You for Smoking. Oh, God, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, thank You for Smoking struck a nerve with me. Oh, because That's even better, I think. Uh, there we go. Because Aaron Eckert, the main, uh, the main actor in there, plays the main character, uh, he's a lobbyist for the tobacco lobby. And they've got one scene there where he's describing who he is and they've got him voicing over a whole bunch of stuff. And they've got him standing at home plate, just whacking balls out of the park. And he says uh, something along the lines of, you remember that guy in college who could, who could date any girl who could get any girl at the bar. I'm him on crack. Yeah. <laughs> he was honestly dishonest, which I just, the juxtaposition of that, I just thought was beautiful. Like he was so brutally honest about how dishonest he was. And he told everybody and we all like still followed Whoa. along. That's just that that's human error right there. Like, wait a second. He's, absolutely lying to me and this is working yes, yeah. yes. Not, smile and nuts and i'm nod. liking it <laughs> that was an excellent movie. yeah i i really enjoyed that and of course you got to throw in glengarry glenn ross oh, the alec God. baldwin uh scene always yeah, be closing and always. coffees for closer I just those are good they're good to have in the back of the mind again my mind seems to work like a lexicon i get little snippets of quotes and books that I've read and music that I listen to. And they all kind of come together in some weird fashion. My mother, God bless her. <laughs> but six months ago, she says, I have no clue what you just said. I know it makes sense. I know the words, but I have no clue what you just said. They, they, I have no connection whatsoever to any of this. I'm like, well, mom, this came from that movie and this came from that book. And this is a current event. And she's like, I, I just, my mind does not operate. Stick with way. the pop culture references. <laughs> it's not funny. If you can't remember what I'm talking about, come on. I love that too. Yeah. I'm not as good at it as you, I don't think, but I love those little references. <sighs> what I loved about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, though, it, it kind of encapsulated all the salespeople yes. and the psychology behind it. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how it feels working in real estate a lot of times, yep, too. You yep. have the whole spectrum, <laughs> and it's not pretty. Yeah. Some of it is, yeah, some, some of it can. isn't. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the pure joy for me is getting what my clients were aiming for. When they tell me up front at the initial consult that this is what we're aiming for, these are the parameters, and once we're able to secure that and get to the closing table, that's phenomenal. That just that makes my day right there. It really makes my day when they refer me further business because of how we got there. But 
what you're talking about, Glengarry Glen Ross, what we missed there is the after effects. Yeah, yeah. you see some sales actually happening and, and how the salespeople are really happy about it. That's great. They put money in their pocket. But it's the after effects. It's it's the clients themselves. And I understand it's a movie and they weren't focusing on that. But that's the one portion of that story that's missing that I think is crucial to sales. I, I would absolutely agree. And I would never close anybody like they close. <laughs> uh, have you watched, um, was it... Uh, was it live, uh, sell hard, live hard? No, I haven't seen that. Oh my God. You got to watch that. I've one. heard boiler room is supposed to be pretty good too. That's an excellent one, but I prefer uh live hard. It's like used car salesman oh stuff. Oh, right, oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a great way. He's talking about, Oh no, you get need pictures of a fat wife with skinny kids. So they feel sorry for you to buy it. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I can absolutely believe that this is what happened in the fifties and sixties. Oh, and then I love that there's somebody oh, still my. doing it. You know what? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, keep the picture. People love it. They feel sorry for you when you have a fat wife. I'm like, oh, did he just do that? He just did. Wow. <laughs> for those who can't see, I'm cringing. Yeah, live hard, sell hard. It's absolutely great. I would never recommend selling that no, way. No, no. But there's lots of lessons in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do what you got to do to get it done, but maybe not Maybe not that way. I. Oh, man, that's great. I love that. I love that movie. Any other books, podcasts, anything else like that? There is a podcast that has absolutely nothing. It doesn't have to be related to anything. Just whatever you're enjoying. Yep. It has absolutely nothing to do with real estate or sales or anything along those lines. And and I'm not a huge podcast person in the first place anyway. Uh, But a friend of mine put me on to uh, the Liturgist podcast. Um, And I thought it was extraordinary. The Liturgist podcast is all about faith, art, and science and the meeting of all three of those in, in life. It's, I think they're 35, maybe 40 episodes into their, their total podcast and, uh, starts off with a, a pretty good bang and, and rolls out from there. I thoroughly enjoy. So understand I'm an introvert. I'm an outgoing introvert is probably the best way to put it, which technically means I don't necessarily, uh, energize being around other people. I energize by grabbing a, a book, a glass of wine or a beer and listening to jazz music while I read. I, that's just me. It's the only child. Um, but I love getting together with people and talking about the tough things in life. Uh, so I said earlier that politics and religion are conversations that I thoroughly enjoy and will run to actually, instead of running away from what else is there? I, right? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing um, worth talking about. And so that's where the liturgist podcast really uh, like tweaks that funny bone for me. So if I'm doing a lot of travel on a particular day, I'll have two or three of their podcasts uh, on the phone and we'll just fire that through the, the in, uh, in-car speaker system and listen to that. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff all around. Very thoughtful on approaching uh, life with belief and art and science all in there. And what does it look like? And, and can you believe this and hold this and how life is full of a bunch of different tension points? And those are, those are fascinating discussions for me. I like those. So I like that, that one. Sounds a lot. interesting. You might like, um, I listened to one on SoundCloud, but I'm sure it's on iTunes too. It's called on being. Oh yeah. Yeah. Isn't that an NPR? No. Um, I don't know if it's NPR. I, I've heard it referenced before. Yes. It, it's on being. She's one of the few female podcasters who, yeah. I mean, she's, she's good. so good. It's crazy. Nice. Like she's right, right at the top. She kills it. And especially for this particular genre. Sweet. And it's like a, a mixture, most, mostly philosophy and religion. Yeah. But she gets into some other things too. And she goes, she goes about in a very interesting way. Very cool. It's a little annoying to me sometimes, but <laughs> it's still very, very interesting. And she has a way of mesmerizing nice. me that just. Good. Despite being annoyed sometimes, her her use of language too. I wish I want to sound like that on my podcast. Gotcha. Eventually. Yeah, she's really really good. Very erudite, you would say. Yes, okay. and 
She leads. I wish I. She leads her her guests too. Gotcha. Which I something I need to learn how to do instead of reacting, <sighs> leading to. You know, I like the conversation unfold a little bit more too. Yep. So that might be the difference. But you might enjoy that one. That one's I, very I interesting. I will look it up. And um, she's very uh, global in her interest along sure. that too. So Neat. it's it's very interesting. Very slick. I, so anything past that, I don't know, man. It's um, right now. It's just life filled with. Going here, going there, making sure the guys are squared away. I mean, heck, they're taking fencing lessons of all things. No, they're not selling stolen goods. They're actually taking fencing <laughs> lessons. They're learning to use, you know, sabers and epes and foils oh, and stuff like that. Man. It's a lot of fun watching that. That is funny. <laughs> Kids. Oh, they're good. Is there anything that I haven't talked about that you would like to talk about or address? Psh. Now, I don't think so. Now's your opportunity. No, I appreciate the opportunity to bring it open, but we've we've covered a we've ranged all over the place. I know that's what I love I about like the conversational style. Is hold on, <laughs> yeah. grab your chair, or you sit <laughs> in your on car, to your butts. Here we hold go. on, and see if you can't follow along. I, no, I um, no, we we hit my topics. I mean, we could go on about politics and religion, but no, everyone will turn off at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I found that it's a good way to, to stop a conversation with yeah, most people. Yeah. I will eventually too, except for RDIs on Tuesday nights, which um, sucks. So maybe now's a good time. Uh, uh, Daniel, is it you and Dan? Yeah. Have, um, you want you want doubt oh, on tap? Doubt on tap for ah, anybody who you. might be nice. in the Ann Arbor <clears throat> Ipsy area Southeast or close area. Yeah. Who who want to go? I have not yet been able to attend, unfortunately. Chicken. But Tuesday nights, you keep doing it on Tuesday nights, which is uh, well, very you guys, challenging. You guys only get me. together once a month, right? Twice a month. Oh, it's twice a month now. Yeah. Oh, very good. Well, for at least That's another right. two more. That's no, right. Three more. Because I got a, a secondary one. Then, then I will be able to go. Sweet. And when I could go before, I didn't have a car. I understand. So. I understand. And public transportation here sucks. But go ahead and plug so, that because yeah. I think that would fill in it and does. people would be very interested in that. It sounds like a great time. If you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> if you're not, stay away. So if you like cold beer. And Hot Conversations. Uh, Doubt on Tap is the name of our group. Every Tuesday night, we get together at 8 o'clock out in Ipsy, uh, Ypsilanti. Um, we are right now, for the month of February, we're meeting at a place called Cultivate. Cultivate is a brew and tap house. It's great. It's coffee and beer. Oh, my gosh. That's a good um, combo. Yeah, it is. And it, the, the Cultivate itself is a really neat uh, space as well. So that we could talk about that, too. But Doubt on Tap is the place where the not nice conversations are had. So... Um, me, my my friend, my pastor, uh, Dan Rose, uh, started this a, a little bit ago. Dan had something with teenagers called Coffee Doubt, where uh, when he was working with kids in the youth group, uh, they would get together at a coffee shop and just talk about issues of importance to teenagers. And oftentimes it ran around angst and doubt and things like that. So belief comes up frequently. For Doubt on Tap, it's uh, conversations about belief and, and politics and, and current events come up pretty frequently. Now, uh, so you're not scared. Uh, this is not <laughs> wander in, drink beer, people get hammered, and we now throw, start throwing chairs at each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah. Your mother. <laughs> we, we actually have rules. Yes. We actually have rules to our, our meeting. So number one, uh, we meet for 60 minutes. Once everything sto- uh, starts, 60 minutes later, we're done. Uh, rule number two, we got a moderator. That moderator is mostly Dan. Uh, if he's never there, uh, if he's not there, then myself or somebody else will, will step in and moderate the whole discussion. Uh, number three, you have to respect everybody around the table. So that means no side conversations. When some person is talking, the rest of us got to be listening or at least shutting up. Uh, and you can't do the ad hominem attacks. You can't be personal. This is a place for us to learn how to communicate, if you will, about tough ideas and 
dissociate or disconnect our identity from the ideas that we're discussing, which is really, really kind of cool. Uh, and then the fourth and final hard rule is if you're there, you must speak. So you can't just be a fly on a wall and sip your beer and say, oh, this is a fun conversation. I we love it. want you involved yeah, in a conversation. Be active. Yeah. Get yeah. in there. Get in the mix. It's all right to get a bloody nose. Yeah. The hey, other, everything's going to be okay. Oh, yeah. Everything, yeah. Well, we haven't killed anybody yet. No. We've been doing this for like two and a half, three years now. So, you know. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the fifth unofficial rule is um, we can't let Tom, Major Tom, just go unfettered. So he, he's kind of our funny guy who shows up frequently. Uh, we love him fiercely. And the guy is just, he's awesome to have in the conversation. But man, can he ramble sometimes. And he knows it. Yeah. <laughs> I am guilty of that as well. <laughs> That this person is why you should be there. Who should have stopped 10 minutes ago? I'm that guy sometimes. Yeah. I'm trying to get better about that. I'm like, well, I've lost my whole crown. Where's... Well, when everybody stands up to get the next round of beer, that's a pretty good indication. Yeah. <laughs> or when I'm rolling into my sixth rant in a row without taking a breath, slow down. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to control my ranting. <laughs> All right. You should definitely go. I've, eventually, I will get out there, probably at the end of this yep. uh, little whole signal thing got going on, because I also want to go to Ipsy for that. That bar, the worst bar. Whatever. Oh my gosh! Those fuckers posting those pictures. You want to talk about living in the picture age? I have almost driven out to eat some of that. See, there like, was there was a rumor that they were supposed to open a worst bar in Livonia too, and that, that was be a couple of years closer. ago they were supposed to do that, but it hasn't uh, hasn't come together yet. Yeah, check that out on Facebook. Go to the worst bar. W u r s t. Yeah, w u r and their creations. Oh. Like if you're into man bar food, mm. that that like oh my god, I'm like, heck it, we're walking. You I'm have, walking there. You can have a rattlesnake bratwurst, homemade. Delicious. Oh my gosh. Tastes like chicken, but wow. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Fascinating. So I do want to get out there too. Yeah. So uh, I highly recommend Ipsy is just a fun little uh, downtown little. The downtown area has got like two distinct portions. There's Michigan Avenue, which everyone's familiar with. A lot of good stuff right there. There's a great, um, uh, great barbecue joint right there. Red Rock um, B24s is another coffee joint that's right there. Lampshade, which is a fun little uh, new creative space, just opened up. That's fun. Our church is going to start having um, um, a service there uh, twice a month, which is going to be kind of fun. Really outside the norm for us. Um, and then there's Depot Town, which is also a part of Ypsilanti. And Depot Town is just as eclectic as the rest of Ypsilanti. Just got... Uh, Sidetracks is the anchor restaurant. Uh, so if you want the best burger in Ipsy, you go to Sidetracks. Good stuff right there. I like um, burgers. Yeah. And then there's uh, Arbor Brewing Company, which is just north of Depot Town by like a block or two, where that's the other place where we usually meet for Doubt on Tap. So facebook.com slash Doubt on Tap, you'll find us and uh, you'll see where we're located at that point in time. You know, what month you're coming in. We could be at Arbor Brewing or we could be over at Cultivate or we could be somewhere else. But those are the two places we like hanging out. And eventually... These will all be in the show notes too, folks. So. <laughs> I say eventually because sometimes it takes me a couple of weeks before before I get to. Hey, it's a low budget operation, folks. Once I I can uh, do better, I promise I will. So <laughs> I want to thank my guest Todd Waller first time today. I really appreciate you coming out. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Likewise, Jeremy. Thank you. Email address Todd at toddwaller.com. That's T O D D W A L L E R cell phone seven three four five six four seven four six five and this will be in the show notes toddwaller.com or homes dash the one in the middle of dash and dash arbor dot com. Check it out. Um, if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, give it a like, share it with your friends, rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, all this stuff really helps and I really appreciate it. So you can do that that'd be great if you have any comments or suggestions reach out and let me know go to renegadedetroit.com renegadedetroit.com if you are interested in attending the local meetings go to meetup.com forward slash renegade detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash detroit 
Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if and when I ever get this up on YouTube, I promise I will sometime. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap this podcast, I want to take a moment. And I know it's every week. Encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know. Lots of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad starts in life, all that. I know. I get it. Pick a goal. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you close to your goals, even if it's one step. I want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. I know you could be able to be doing a lot of other things right now. So thank you for listening. And until next week, crush it. <laughs>